This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. For many, progressive rock is the music that time forgot. But in the early 70s, it was bigger, braver, and more ambitious than anything that had gone before. It was genuinely daring music, I think. It had to be complicated, it had to be non-commercial, it had to be sort of aquarium. When punk arrived in 1976, pompous prog rock was supposed to be consigned to history. Punk, we were told, had wiped the slate clean and taken rock back to basics. Prog was the enemy. It was pompous, it was bourgeois, it was bloated. It was wrong. It was what was and should never have been. But was prog really as terrible as the critics made out? And more importantly, did it really die? This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. Now, crank it up. So this is going to be a little bit different of an episode for the Grown Up Rock podcast. My co-host, Sonny Hollywood Cooney, has sent me out to the front lines by being so gracious as to winning a cruise to the edge. Now, this will not be a hard rock and heavy metal conversation. So Cruise to the Edge is a prog rock cruise. My co-host, Hollywood won this cruise back in August of the Rock and Pod Expo, and he couldn't attend, so he was super gracious in giving it to myself and my wife, and we took him up on it because we could attend, so we decided to come down to Orlando and jump on this. Luckily enough, I wasn't going to be alone because I was fortunate enough to find 
my friend, Kevin Williams, who's been on the podcast before, who just happens to be a prog rock fan. Kevin, what's going on? What's up, man? <laughs> I cannot believe you're here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't believe I'm here either. And Rush isn't even playing. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, the only band you mentioned on the forum was, hey, I like Rush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they split up quite a while ago, and Neil died, so they're not playing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. That's all right. This will be interesting because I like music of all kinds, so I think I can find something I like within this prog rock cruise, but it'll be an interesting conversation because you do know this world, and I don't know this world. And so the way that we're going to run this podcast episode is Kevin and I are going to take time out each morning for the next three or four days, and we're going to cover each day. And we're going to give you a little bit, maybe five, 10 minutes on each day that tells basically our observations, what we saw, what we liked, what we didn't like. I'm going to maybe play you a little music in this episode. And then at the end of each one of these days, we're going to share one of our top five Rush records. Since Rush is a prog band that I know and love, you know and love Rush, and I know a lot of the listeners know and love Rush, except for my co-host who hates Rush. Well, well let's talk about your co-host real quick, because in your whole setup, you said that he was gracious enough to give you this this uh, cruise, and I'm like, Sonny Pooney would have jumped off the boat the minute it set sail and he heard the first note of the band playing on the pool deck. Well, it's not the first note that he would have jumped overboard. It would have been the fact that the Sail Away band played about a 10-minute intro to the first song where there was no singing. That's where Sonny would have jumped overboard. <laughs> right. Yeah, standard length of prog music, if you don't know. Standard length of a, a single for a prog band is probably about 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically each band, we're going to do some comparison. Kevin's been on the Kiss Cruise many times. I've been on the Monsters of Rock Cruise many times. And the same people that do the Monsters of Rock Cruise also do this cruise to the edge. So we're going to talk about a few differences and similarities while we're sharing this. And of course, one of the things that's very similar to Monsters of the Rock is that most bands play two sets on the cruise ship. The difference is, is that they play an hour set which covers about one to one and a half of their songs, whereas, <laughs> you know, Faster Pussycat or Skid Row, they can play 12 songs in that hour set. <laughs> that's, that's, that's appropriately true, yes. <laughs> that's accurate, right? That's <laughs> yeah, very accurate. So if you don't like that one song, you're shit out of luck on this cruise. <laughs> but uh, anyway, let's get into this. So let's start... Well, first of all, let's start up front by pimping your podcast. Kevin has the In Obscuria podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. Yeah. So on our show, we basically cover uh, what we call the lost, the forgotten, and the should have been. So we focus on bands that uh, maybe you know don't get the exposure that we think they deserve over the years or bands that you just have never heard of because I have a huge music collection. And basically what I do is I set everything up and then my co-host Robert reacts to everything. All he does is show up to the recording every week and he just reacts to whatever I throw him. Sometimes he hates it. Sometimes he loves it. But a lot of folks are telling me all the time, hey, I'm finding new bands that I never knew existed. And we don't just cover you know new bands that you've never heard of. We cover bands that maybe had a, one album in 1988 and you probably never heard it, but we're going to cover it. 
Whereas Grown Up Rock does deep cuts and things like that because we don't want to focus on the hits. Kevin goes five steps beyond that and digs out really, you know, obscure stuff, right? Just like the podcast title. Uh, so it's a great show, and they cover not just necessarily one genre, although Kevin is hard rock and metal head just like us. He will venture off into prog world and to other areas. Yeah, we, we say in our banner, we're, we're rock and punk and metal, so we'll cover the whole broad spectrum. Basically, if it has electric guitar in it and it rocks somewhat, we're going to cover it. Right, and then the other part of your life is that you're a bass player for your band, The Swear, which is sort of a... What would you classify the swear as? Oh, everybody asked me that. I always consider it as a punk band, but we're not like your typical oi kind of one, two, three, four punk band. So a little bit I don't of know. a little alternative, a little alternative in, yep. in my ears, a little alternative, but a little then, goth maybe. We have got some darker subject matter from a, a lyrical standpoint, right? Um, we have a female lead singer who also she writes all the lyrics, and um, she's she comes from that goth background. So, right. so there you go. Those are the credentials. Let's get into this conversation about Cruise to the Edge. So let's start off. I flew into Orlando with my lovely wife, Jen, who's on the cruise. She's up on deck just hanging out by the pools right now because she really doesn't care about (laughs) any of this music. So, uh, you know, we spent a couple of days with my brother because my brother lives uh, around the corner from the port, which was great. So I got to spend some family time with he and his wife, and that was fantastic for us. This is a vacation for us. So we get to the port for day one of Cruise to the Edge, and the line is wrapped up out into the parking lot and through the parking deck. And we're like, what is going on here? Because if you've ever cruised before, they assign you a time to show up to the port to check in. Ours was 11 a.m. And so we showed up. The line is wrapped around. Apparently, the computers for the ship were down and the ship couldn't connect to the uh, Wi-Fi in the port. So this was a big We'll just call it a clusterfuck beyond <laughs> recognition. This was ugly. So it was not starting out well. We got on board. It took us roughly two hours to get through the line and get on board, which all in all, it looked way worse than it actually ended up being. I mean, two hours isn't great, but it's better than what the line looked like. Did you have a similar experience? Well, I was going to ask, have you ever experienced that before with any of the Monsters of Rock cruises? No. So the Monsters of Rock cruises that we've been on as far as boarding, uh, and we've been on three now, have been pretty pretty straight ahead. Uh, They've worked like clockwork. Now, I will say this. Two of them were pre-COVID. Uh, which shouldn't have had anything to do with yesterday because we understand it was a computer problem. And the last Monsters of Rock, which was in February for us, was really simple for us because we were on a two-day sailing before the Monsters of Rock cruise on the same ship, so we didn't have to even really get off the ship. So it was super simple for us. So I can't comment, but from what Sonny and them tell me, their getting on board was pretty straight ahead. Yeah, so I had a very similar experience to yesterday. It took me about an hour, hour and a half to get in because you sent me a text and because my my time was an hour after yours. So I really didn't show up on time. I knew it wasn't going to matter. And about an hour and a hour and a half to get in. But I, I think we need to talk about the demographic of folks that are on this cruise because progressive rock had its heyday 
if you really want to call it that, its heyday was the early 70s. In fact, they say that 1973 was the year of progressive rock. That's the year I was born. So a lot of the folks that are on this cruise are in their 60s, some in their 70s, a lot of folks in their 50s. You know, I'm, I'm approaching that too. But what I'm trying to get at is you have a much older crowd here. So to ask an older crowd, especially when you have a lot of folks from all over the world, they've traveled far to be on this thing because a lot of these bands are from Europe, from Great Britain, you know, all over. And so to ask these older folks, let's just call it that, to stand in a line for two hours, there were some salty old folks in that line. <laughs> there was happy. definitely that. And it's just like you said, and it doesn't, you don't really think about it, but when you start putting together, okay, Mork primarily focuses on hair bands of the 80s. Just like you said, these prog bands really were established in the early to mid 70s for a lot of them. So their fan base is if I'm 55, regardless of what Sonny Pooney says, because Sonny tries to tell everybody I'm 103, it's bullshit. Sonny's <laughs> just so the world <laughs> knows, Sonny is literally like three years younger than me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was at his 50th birthday party. Exactly. So. <laughs> we both were. So shut it, Pooney. Anyway, the bottom line is, is you tack on probably 10 years to what uh, our age group is that, yeah, there's some people that can't stand up for long periods of time. <laughs> uh, we're we're going to get into the shows, but dude, I got to tell you, I was sitting next to this guy, uh, one of the shows I was watching last night. And he was talking to me. He's from Eugene, Oregon. And he's like, yeah, I'm 72 years old. And I love you know, all these groups. And I look over at halfway through the show, head back, fast asleep, mouth wide open. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the other thing. Like on a Mort cruise at 1130 at night, there's still tons of activity going on. Some bands play at midnight on Mork, uh, and there's tons of stuff going on. Last night at 1130, it was almost a ghost town. I mean, there were still people moving around because there were some delays in some of the venues, which we'll talk briefly about, but uh, it's definitely just a little bit different. Haven't seen a single battle vest. No, yeah, you're not going to see a battle vest at this. Seen plenty of Yes shirts, Rush shirts, and Marillion shirts. <laughs> as i'm wearing one right now that's right so we'll get into the lineup but i'm gonna tell most of the listeners i can tell you for me personally i've heard of maybe five to ten percent of the 40 plus bands that are on this cruise and that's just being honest and that's coming from a person that is musical i mean i like music so but Probably 80%, 85%, 90% of these bands I had never heard of before this cruise. Now, I did some homework before this cruise because I want it to be educated a little bit. And I also want it to streamline the bands I want it to try and see on this. So I went out and I found some playlists that people had put together with three or four songs from each band that were on this cruise, and I briefly went through them. I picked out the songs that I thought were pretty good. I threw them on a playlist for myself, and I said, okay, these are the bands that I want to try and target on the cruise that I want to see because I sort of like the music. I sort of like the songs. And it ranges anywhere from heavy prog, which is like, let's say, 
for our listeners is like a dream theater where it's sort of heavy metal, but they're very prog to folk music where like one of the artists that I saw yesterday was Al Stewart. He had the huge hit year of the cat and he was fantastic. And we'll get into that, but I like some of that guitar folk influenced music from those from that period of time, because I listened to a lot of that stuff early in the morning because I can't take metal in the morning. So I listened to eat, uh, what Blasphemy. I call Yeah, I call it easy <laughs> listening, but I like it. So that's what it is. That's where I like bands like the Eagles and things like that. But uh, anyway, let's jump into this thing. So, Well, let's set the scene just a little bit because I wanted to mention that this cruise was scheduled for 2020. So this was postponed from 2020 because of COVID, obviously. And we're just now sailing. So there was really not an option to get out of this unless you had a, a major reason. Like if, you know, a lot, so I think some of the European folks just decided not to make the trip. But with that, the original lineup of this whole thing, the reason that it's even called Cruise to the Edge is because this was the Yes Cruise, right? So the band Yes, this is their cruise. They started this cruise. They have an album called Close to the Edge. That's why this is called Cruise to the Edge. They're not on this boat. <laughs> so we're sailing the Yes Cruise without the without. band Yes, right? So people have talked about, can the Kiss Cruise go on once Kiss is done? Yes, it can. <laughs> because Yes is doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not all Yes theme. There's a lot of Yes shirts and stuff. But I mean, a lot of the logoing and marketing is very Yes-like. But yeah, we're on a Yes Cruise that has not doesn't have Yes on it. So there were a lot of bands that were originally slated to play that, that aren't playing. And then there are a lot of bands that were added late, which some really good ones. And one that I was really excited. I thought we were going to see an amazing Sellaway show yesterday, Wishbone Ash, which is more of a kind of old school hard rock band, really, from the 70s. But they didn't go on for some reason. They didn't go on. So, they didn't play. So like today and like with uh, the Monsters of Rock Cruise, there are a lot of changes at the last minute. A lot of things up and down. Some people made the boat. Some people didn't make the boat. In the case of Wishbone Ash, from my understanding, they just didn't want to play the Sail Away show. So they flip-flopped with another artist called Alan Hewitt and One Nation. And Alan Hewitt is... Um, he played the uh, pre-party because just like Mork, they had a pre-party. And so he was one of the artists that played the pre-party. And so I think the draw for him was, hey, I'll play the pool sail away show and I'm done with my shows. I can enjoy the cruise. So good for him. So he played the sail away show, which sort of went on on time. They were a little bit late getting started, but uh, I caught maybe two or three songs and my... Um, my thought of it is that, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it was very, like, played for 10 minutes without uttering a word vocally. So it was just kind of. Sounds about average. Yeah, it was, it was okay. I mean, it was very instrumental and there was some good keyboard and groove sounds. And yeah. uh, it's not something that I would typically seek out, I don't it, think. It's what I'd call pop prog. It's basically okay. what it was. Yeah. And we need Kevin to kind of categorize some of this stuff for us because I have no clue. Just I'll <laughs> tell you whether I like the sounds or not. So that was the first thing uh, I think we saw or the first thing I saw. Yeah. And then we went to see an Italian prog band, right? And I think that was next. Uh, At least it was for me. Yeah, it wasn't for me. 
So I'll go through my day and then I'll, I'll pass it on to Kevin and he can tell you what he liked and didn't like. I was originally excited to see this act called McStein and Miniman. They were very uh, sort of a mixture of prog, but also with Beatlesque harmonies and a really good groove. So I liked them. One of them is a drummer, one of them is a guitar player, and then they have a band around them. Well, this is where the crap started in the Royal Theater. This was supposed to be the Royal Theater first show. Not only did they not start at two o'clock, but literally they were two and a half to three and a half hours late getting on. I abandoned it. I walked in on the very last song because I was there to see the next band that was playing in the Royal Theater at seven o'clock. So they were playing their last song at seven o'clock and they were supposed to be on at two o'clock in the afternoon. And there were literally people lined up, what, maybe three floors of stairs, just lined up sitting down on the stairs for hours just trying to get in. Yes. And so I also think it's, we have to note that here's where things are a little bit different on this cruise versus the Monsters of Rock cruise. On this cruise, there are about two or three headliners, what they call headliners of the Royal Theater. So they only play the Royal Theater. They play two shows and they have laminates that they give out to all the guests. And you're either a red or a blue laminate and you have an assigned seat in the Royal Theater and you can only go to one of the shows. So in the case of this band called Transatlantic, which is a supergroup, they are one of the headliners, and they were playing last night, and it was my night to see them because I have a red laminate, and it had its signed seats, and Transatlantic supergroup contains Mike Portnoy on drums, which was the draw for me, and then uh, this guy named Neil Morse on keyboards, and a couple other dudes that Kevin will talk about. I don't a really couple know. Other dudes. Yeah, I don't really know all these guys. I know Mike Portnoy because he's in Winery Dogs and was in a bunch of other things. Prog fans are screaming at you already. Yeah, I know. Sons of Apollo and Winery Dogs. That's a draw for me. Anyway, they were actually really good. I really enjoyed them. They played an hour. I don't know how to explain them. I'll let Kevin do that. But they they had parts of Yes, parts of Pink Floyd, parts of the Beatles, all kind of thrown into a blender. There's all kinds of stuff mixed in there. And by the way, every musician on this boat is stupid, crazy good. I mean, ridiculous good, like next level good. And so that was no different from Transatlantic, all just ridiculously amazing players. Basically all virtuosos. Yeah. Oh, completely. Without a doubt. So they were good.
But that's the big difference in like this and a Mort Cruise is that theater uh, special headlining show. And that was our first show in there. Our seats were amazing. They were front row in the balcony. You know, they assign your seats. It's not like you pick them. And so that's what we got. And so that was amazing. So I saw Transatlantic. I really, really liked them. I also saw the McBroom sisters. I saw part of them. Kevin will talk about them more. I really enjoyed them. And I saw a band called Pain of Salvation, which I was told by numerous people to see because they're heavy prog, meaning it's sort of a heavy metal verse uh, with prog. They were very meh for me. I didn't, they didn't do much for me. I saw them on the pool stage and just, uh, I wasn't really into it. And then I also saw, uh, so the big thing that me and Jen went to was that we saw Al Stewart. Like I told you earlier, he had that song, Year of the Cat. I really, both me and Jen really enjoyed him because he was super charismatic and just funny and he's a great storyteller. And so we enjoyed that. Uh, I would think overall for day one for me, Probably Transatlantic was my favorite out of everything that I saw, but there were several other good things within that, Al Stewart being one of them. So that was pretty much my day one in a nutshell. It was hectic. We didn't get our luggage to the last minute, and uh, I walked around like a slob for 90% of the, the day. <laughs> I had a very different day than you because I basically spent most of my day in the same venue. And drinking. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, they get you by this uh, drink package that they offer. So I got the deluxe drink package and, you know, anybody that's ever gotten those, you feel, you know, it's your duty to get your money's worth on this thing. So I definitely got my money's worth yesterday and I plan on doing the same thing today. Kevin wore a shirt around the ship that said, Royal Caribbean's drink package is my bitch. I was feeling good yesterday. Let's just say that. He stayed upright to his to his credit. He stayed upright and he didn't slur his words at all the entire night. So I, hats off to him. Yeah. At one point we were sitting down together and I, I was having, I don't know, maybe my fifth or sixth cocktail. And I looked over and I said, oh boy, Kevin, you need to slow down. These are going down a little quick. That was at uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, by that the way, <laughs> and I and I didn't slow down. <laughs> no, so ten drinks later. <laughs> yeah, so the the first band I caught after the the pool, I only caught a couple of songs with you at, on the pool stage at the Sellaway, uh, and I thought it was good. It's kind of poppy prog, uh, not quite anything that did much for me. But the the first band that I was really excited to go see is an Italian band, and if you're a horror movie fan you will know the band Goblin for being the soundtrack to many of the 70s uh, kind of zombie. So Dawn of the Dead is probably the biggest one. George Romero's film, uh, Goblin did the entire soundtrack to that. So if you're familiar with a lot of the 70s horror movies, Goblin did a ton of the soundtracks. So it's all instrumental. It's kind of like Italian prog meets disco beats meets kind of creepiness horror movie you know types of sounds and it was great because the only person that's left from the original band is claudio simonetti and so he's an older guy you know he's from the 70s man that's when they were doing their thing but he got a young band and they put a whole lot of energy into what is considered kind of an old old school prog band so i actually love that they 
there's several bands on this cruise that have done that where they've taken, you know, maybe you have one or two members left and then you put some youth in there. You get a little, inject a little energy into it. And I thought they were great. You saw a little bit of that, I think. I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were interesting to me. I couldn't really see them. It was more or less just hearing them, but they had a bass player that was, uh, uh, she was, she was into it. She was rocking. She was rocking the short, short leather shorts and the short, short leather tops. She was looking metal. She was looking yeah, metal. She was looking sure. metal. And she was, to me, she reminded me of Sean from white zombie. I think I mentioned that she was like moving around just like Sean used to in, in white zombie. So I thought it was really cool. So that was at the star lounge, which I was basically there all day. Now you had told me from Monsters of Rock, you had told me don't even go in there. You you know it's not a good venue. It it may sound good, but you can't see because people stand on the floor and you can't see the band because there's hardly a stage. Well, the big difference about this cruise than Monsters of Rock is you don't have headbangers on this cruise, so you don't have people standing for the most part. People are sitting down. I said these people are older, and that's all the venues. So this is the same. That's the thing we forgot to mention. This is the same exact ship that Monsters of Rock used in 2019. So our first Mork cruise was this ship, Mariner of the Seas. And like Kevin just mentioned, our favorite place has always been Studio B, which is the ice skating ring that they turn into a venue for the concerts. They put boards over the ice and you have a floor and it's general admission and you have a big open floor so you can stand if you want to get down in the action or you can sit on the sides and have a great view. But on this cruise, they line the floor that was standing room only with chairs. So there is chairs everywhere. They even put chairs on the pool deck of all places. So people for cruise to the edge really don't want to stand. And I sort of understand that because if you go check out one song, you're there at least a minimum of 30 to 40 <laughs> minutes for that one song. And so even if you're popping in for one song or their full set, which contains one and a half songs, then, you know, you want to sit. So I get it. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> yes, you know, prog rock is very much uh, based on classical composition. So you got movements and within a single song. So yeah, you're going to have some 30-minute songs in there. That's the way it works, man. So what I did was I basically I left the Star Lounge after Goblin, and there was this great little bar right outside of that where Tyson Leslie, who plays for Vixen, and who's what's the other guy's name? The, the keyboard is for uh, Poison. So you've got these dueling piano guys right outside the Star Lounge doing their dueling pianos things, and you got the guy from Vixen and the guy from Poison. Uh, yeah, Will <laughs> Doherty and Tyson Leslie. But they are doing they're doing prog type dueling piano. So that what I would do is I'd go out there, I'd have a few more drinks, and then I would go back into the Star Lounge for the next show that I saw, which was a guy that I've been listening to since probably 86 and that was Stu Ham and I'm a bass player so for me to see Stu Ham just he just blew me away the guy he played a medley of Beatles songs just on the bass just him alone playing both the treble and the bass clef you know playing everything just his hands amazing Kevin tell everybody uh what the bass of choice on this cruise is 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. If if you like Rickenbackers, you're going to see probably 70% of these bands are playing Rickenbacker basses, which I also play Rickenbacker. So. Every last one of them. Apparently, Prague uh, has the corner market with Rickenbacker Well, and, and the reason why, you've got Chris Squire, and yes, was known for playing a Rickenbacker, Getty Lee, Rickenbacker. There's a whole host of other, uh, even Pete from Marillion used to play Rickenbacker, so... It's just the prog bass. It's got that trebly end, which makes it great for prog music. So after Stu Ham, I did the same thing. I went outside and I had a few more drinks at the bar. And by the way, they do have a bar inside the Star Lounge as well. So I, I continued drinking there as well. Uh, and then I went back in for the McBroom Sisters. And the McBroom Sisters, if you don't know, it's Durga and Lorelai McBroom. And they were the backup singers for the last several tours for Pink Floyd. Lorelai is also one of the backup singers for the Rolling Stones. So they basically were doing, they have some of their own music. They put an album out called Black Floyd, which is really cool. They basically do covers of a lot of Pink Floyd stuff, and they have their own music in there. They had uh, Dave Kersner, if anybody's familiar with him, he was kind of the, the band leader for them. Let me stop you. Nobody's going to Nobody's going to know that. Okay. <laughs> These people. Well, anyway. None of our listeners anyway. Anyway, he, he's, uh, he's well known in the prog circles. Just a fantastic player. And he puts together all these bands. A lot of the bands on this on this cruise, he kind of is like the band leader. Anyway. I just want to say, yeah. Dave Kirshner, oh yeah, Sonny Pooney loves Dave uh, Kirshner. I bet he does. He loves them. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the McBroom sisters went on and they did, uh, they started off with several of their own songs. And what was cool is they also had two extra singers on stage with them. They had uh, Leslie Hunt, who's in a band called District 97, who we'll be seeing later on the boat. Uh, they're a band from Chicago, a younger band, much younger band doing prog music. So she was on stage with them. They had another girl. I didn't know who she was, but they basically had four vocalists on stage doing these incredible harmonies. They did their own music. They did some Pink Floyd. They did some Rolling Stones. And they did a kick-ass version of Cult of Personality by Living Color, which people were actually, the old people stood up and rocked out for a minute, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I just thought they were fantastic. And then, let's see, who do we have after that? Oh, I saw a little bit of Pain of Salvation. On the oh, that's there. right. That, you and I finished out the yeah. night from there on. We went and finished out with a little bit of Pain of Salvation, who... Well, what was your opinion of them? Well, I mean, that's that's a band that I, I'm into. I have several of their albums. I really wanted to see them. But something, for me, the pool deck, it was really windy up there. The sound wasn't great to me. And they're one of those bands that they're heavy, but they're like a whisper to a shout. And so, to me, the pool stage was not really the place to see a band that's kind of whisper to shout. Which is okay, because you'll have the opportunity to see them in the Studio B, which is where you, you'll love that, because right. that's where you want to see a band like that. So, you, I know that's their second show, is in Studio B. They also didn't have a bass player, and they made a joke about it. And I, I really don't like it when bands use tracks. I can't stand it. Yeah. Let's ask Eddie Trunk what he thinks of that. <laughs> he was he was on the side of the stage watching them and i to be honest i didn't even notice till the guy said hey we don't have a bass player because the lead guy sings and plays guitar but they also have another guitar player and then they have a keyboard player and a drummer yeah we'll see we'll see how it sounds when they do their next show but that was my day yesterday and by the way there's no reason for you not to have a bass player on this cruise because like even the cruisers can play bass so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was i was telling steven i would just imagine that every other person on this cruise is some badass musician that you just have never heard of 
Because prog music in general is, it's music for musicians, yeah. right? It's a lot of notes, a lot of speed, a lot of, uh, you know, long songs, long instrumentals. Sonny is just, he would, God, he would hate this. So when he in would doubt, last a Sonny Pooney does what? If he knows he's going to hate it, he sends me. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> so the closest thing to Mork on this cruise was a band that didn't make the cruise because they canceled at the last minute, but that's King's X. King's <sighs> X was yeah. due to play this cruise. and Sonny loves him too. Yeah, Sonny loves him as well. And Ty broke his hand or something, and so they weren't a able. Finger. He broke a finger in like February. Yep. And... Taking a while. Hey, he's a guitar player. Could take a while to fix it. I'm sorry, Todd, but you're, if you're listening to this, you could have just played slide the whole thing. <laughs> oh, you, you know, you're a good guitarist. You can figure it out. <laughs> so they didn't make it. So there you go. One of my favorite bands of all time. Actually. Yeah. But that's pretty much day one. Now, as we get into this for the next uh, days, it'll go probably a little quicker. It's just we had a lot of groundwork to lay down for the listener to kind of explain a lot of how this cruise is different and how things work on this cruise. But as we close out day one, let's talk about our favorite Rush records. All right. So I think each day, like we said, we'll give at least one of our favorites. You can start wherever you want to start. I'm going to start with my number five. Does your list change depending on your mood? My list does change a little bit depending on my mood. Also, I would like to say that I think that there are two different worlds of Rush. There is the early years and there are the later years. Now, for this particular episode... I didn't divide it up. My top five, for the most part, are all pretty much classic older Rush records. I didn't really share any of the new stuff. And at some point in time for the Grown Up Rock podcast, I want to do a proper Rush episode or episodes. But as most of the listeners that have been listening to us for any amount of time knows, Sonny is not a Rush fan at all. So I have to figure out how I want to present my Rush episodes and who I want to present them with. And, you know, I'll go from there. But I haven't decided that. And I want to make sure that I do it right because I think they're owed that in my book. They are one of my top 10 bands of all time. They were one of the bands I grew up with. uh, And so they're very important to me as a young kid and a listener. And so for me, I'm going to start with, I said top five, but I sort of went top six because it was so hard for me to pull certain things out. But I guess if we're going to limit it to five, I'm going to start with my number five favorite Rush record, which is Farewell to Kings. That's just got so many classic songs on it. It's such a great record. And it came at a period of time in their career that was really They had turned the corner at this point and they were on their way to being whoever they wanted to be each record. They had already proven themselves with 2112. And at this point they were, had the deal with the record company that said, Hey, we're hands off. You guys do what you want to do. And that's really what enabled Rush to be who they were going to be for the rest of their career. Basically. It's interesting. You picked that album because if you think about Rush's trajectory, they they morphed over time. They mm-hmm. were always changing what mm-hmm. they were doing, but they have a trilogy of true prog albums. 
this is number two in their trilogy of prog albums. Isn't that interesting? And some of the songs on that record for me, probably I would consider, I would consider the songs not necessarily proggy. I mean, I, I guess a song like Xanadu is pretty, pretty proggy, prog. but a song like uh, Cinderella Man's on that record as well, right? Yep. That to me is not a song and th- uh, not a prog song. And to me, Cinderella Man, honestly, that's a song that came much later in my in my rush fandom it wasn't one that was blaring at me in the early years of my fandom it was one that kind of came much later and i was like i forgot about this song yeah. or just ignored this song at one point and i love it probably you know? overshadowed by their big hit from that one which was closer to the heart yeah exactly and which is not prog right, right not prog uh, so just so many great tunes on that record and just uh, one of my favorites Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Didn't make my top five, but obviously I love it because I love everything that that Rush does. So for my number five, I'm going to go with the album that they had kind of coming out of that trilogy of Prague. They, They decided to change things up when they put out Permanent Wave. So that's my number five. And it was them sort of embracing New Wave just a bit, just a hint, you know. But you got some major hits on that record, Spirit of Radio, Free Will, even Jacob's Ladder, which is more proggy. But, I mean, just side two is my favorite side. But that's kind of your obscure songs for Rush. You've got Entre New, you have Different Strings, and Natural Science. Natural Science being a nine-minute song, which is amazing and very proggy, but still done in a early 80s. This came out in 1980, so it's done in sort of that new wave mindset. Almost a little police in it at some points, which I just thought was great. And when you can take all these things in the melting pot and Rush does this so well, they take things they like and they put it into their own music and they put their own little slant on it, which I think is awesome. Yeah, Agreed. End of day one. You good with that? I'm good with that. We'll pick this up tomorrow. Prog on. Prog on not <laughs> All right, so we'll see you in basically 24 hours and or one prog song. <laughs> nice. See ya.
And we're back, day two, from whatever song I just dropped in there. It's been at least 24 hours since we recorded last. So here we are, Kevin Williams, myself, we're covering Cruise to the Edge. We're going day by day through what we're seeing, the comparisons with Kiss Cruise, Monsters of Rock Cruise. We gave you all the background when we recorded last. Obviously, that was at the front of the episode, so <laughs> this is day two. So basically, this should be just what we saw today and, you know, what we liked. So you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. It was a, it was a great day for me. So, cause I'm a pro remember I'm the prog guy. I'm the, the guy that actually paid to be on this cruise. I didn't win it. That, and Kevin's <laughs> the one that has to actually tell us what we're seeing because we have no clue what we're seeing for the most part. <laughs> right. So, uh, the first thing that I saw, we actually saw it together. We only saw a little bit of them was a band called Marvin and everybody had told me to go see this band because they tell good stories on stage and they're. They're just fun to watch. I think we only heard one story. I think your wife, Jen, saw more of them, and she heard more of the stories and said they were really funny. But the music, to me, was not even prog rock. It was To me, it was jazz fusion. And it's not quite my thing, so I, you know, I didn't watch too much of them, but probably not high on my list of See Them Again bands. So I saw them and they were actually on my list to see because the four songs that whoever put on the playlist, the Cruise to the Edge playlist, I enjoyed. I would agree that they're kind of all over the place. They're not just a straight ahead prog band. They're a little jazz fusion-y, but they have those kind of bands on this cruise, uh, I think, right? With people like Aldemiola and some other folks that are just uh, jazzy and fusion uh, based players, but I, I thought they were okay. I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed them. They weren't offensive to me. They were kind of fun. They remind me of, um, so the more people will understand this, but they're, they're the utility band for cruise to the edge. So they're essentially just like, uh, the rock and roll residency in the way that the rock and roll residency can play all kinds of styles of rock and they can play once a day, twice a day, four times a day. They can play throughout the cruise. They can do all kinds of things. They're very versatile. Marvin is the same kind of thing because they were playing like island music today on the, on on the, the island? beach. Yeah, on the stage. And they were, you know, doing all kinds of different things. So that's what they remind me of is that kind of utility band. Yeah, I think what's missing to me, and the, the Kiss Cruise has it too, because the Rock and Roll Residency plays the Kiss Cruise as well. And if they don't have them, then they have another band that does covers. And I think that's what's missing from this cruise. So the pre-cruise party, the pre-party had a band called Project, which was like a super group of prog guys doing prog covers. To me, that's what's needed on the pool stage mm -hmm. every day. Because people would totally dig that to hear all these old prog songs played on the pool stage. Well, and for a long time, I have to say, I wondered why Monsters of Rock Cruise always 
includes like these tribute bands on the roster. But honestly, that's probably for the people just like me that don't know this other music that well. At least if there was a prog cover band playing like Genesis and Yes and Rush covers, I would be like, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, and it goes with the whole pool theme to me. It's right. Anything on the pool stage, you don't know what you're going to get sound-wise. So to me, it's like go with some standards, go with stuff that people know, and they kind of fill in the blanks with their own ears in a way. You don't have to worry about the sound. But anyway, moving on, I went to see a band that is from Sweden that I have wanted to see for years, and they just don't really play the States. So this is a band called The Flower Kings. Now, the guitarist in The Flower Kings, you actually saw Stephen the night before because he is also in the band Transatlantic, which is a super group of prog musicians that you saw. I haven't seen them yet. His name is Rowan Stolt, or maybe it's not. Maybe I'm saying it wrong. But anyway, that's what I'm going to call him. <laughs> and, uh, that's okay. We mispronounce shit on this show yeah. all the time. <laughs> well, especially the Swedish bands. It's, yeah. you know, it's, roll the dice. So anyway, he was sitting down the entire show. Now, he's been playing prog music since the 70s. He's been playing since he was a teenager. And anyway, he played sitting down the whole time. And they put on a good show, but he couldn't sing. And I don't know if he's he's said he wasn't feeling well, his voice. But they still put on a great show. The other guitarist you know, gets a gold star because he sang all the songs and he is not the lead singer. And he did a pretty damn good job. Let's hope he doesn't have the Rona. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. <laughs> yep. Uh, then from there, I saw the band that I, the, the whole reason that I got on this boat. And, the, and you're going to make fun of me. I know. I could already see it on your face. It's a band called Marillion. And they have been around since the early 80s. Uh, UK band. They do not tour the States that often. They tour mostly the UK and Europe, and I finally saw Marillion, and I'll just be honest with you, this grown man cried a little bit when I saw him. <laughs> At least he was up front about saying that because I was going to dog him out if he didn't tell everybody that he did that. <laughs> but here's the thing. So it's great because we told you guys about the laminates, and you can only go to one of these shows. Since Jen, my wife, doesn't really care about music all that much, She's given me her laminate to give to Kevin so that Kevin and I can go see Marillion. Kevin gets to see Marillion a second time. So he gets to see both sets. So that makes us happy and makes Kevin happy too because he can cry and I can witness it, take video and share it on Facebook, which is hilarious. I, I have waited since 1989 to see this band. So this is a big deal for me. I'm going to go watch it with an open mind and a little bit of wine and I'll be honest about it. I mean, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, so one that's way or tomorrow. Another, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. We're recording a day behind, but yeah, uh, that will be on tomorrow night's recording. So yeah, we'll see what that's going on, but what's next for you? Next for me was another band that I'd want to see, wanted to see for a long time, a band called Riverside. They are from Warsaw, Poland and saw them on the pool stage, and I was expecting it to be sort of similar to what we saw the night before with Pain of Salvation, where it was just going to be meh because of the you know, the sound quality that you get on the pool stage at night with all the wind. And it was super windy, but man, the place was packed, and people were into this band, and they were really good. They pulled it off live. What I think what I told you was, on their albums, they come across a little more serious but live, you could tell they were having fun, and they were just, I don't know, it was a little more personal. 
to me. So it, it actually made their music even better. I already liked them, but I thought they were great. Yeah, so for me, this is one that I also saw. And for me, Riverside was the surprise of the day because I didn't know anything about this band other than three or four songs on the playlist. I thought they were okay. But when I went and saw them on the pool deck, it was the equivalent of going to see like an eclipse or heat on the pool deck on Monsters of Rock. Their country comes out to support them and the crowd is huge. Like it was packed. It was packed on the pool stage. It was packed around the the um, second level uh, pool deck. And it was people were into it. Like they love this band. And I thought they were really good. How would you describe them? Because I, I, I kind of always considered them more like a dream theater, but that's not how they came across. I actually said that there were very, uh, there was a lot of, and I hate to keep saying this, and and probably it's because it's the only prog band I'm really that familiar with, but there's a lot of rush, but like not old rush, like 90s, like 80, uh, late 80s, 90s rush in this band uh from the bass players so the bass player plays bass and sings that's one thing but his tone is very getty lee not his singing tone but his bass tone is very getty lee and the guitar player when he goes to do his solos you can tell that he's hugely influenced by alex lifeson in his solos so that's what i mean when i say rush it's not like their music completely sounds like rush i don't think that that's the case i can just tell they're influenced in different ways as players from the guys in rush again i enjoyed it it wasn't offensive 50 minute songs you know i mean longer songs obviously but not like crazy long well he made a comment that they were on the pool stage they were going to play some some of their shorter songs yeah. and then when they play the next time they're going to throw in their longer pieces yeah so i mean you know when they say shorter it was uh, about an hour and a half for one song versus the three <laughs> hours that's normal for these prog con- concerts
what was next? <laughs> uh, next next was one we saw together, which was Al Demiola. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of an odd person to be on this boat, to be the kind of in the headliner slot, but not. He was a late ad, and most people know him. He's a jazz fusion dude. He was in the band Return to Forever which was a Chick Corea band in the 70s, very jazz fusion, not so much prog, but people in the prog circles kind of know him. And for listeners of your show, if they play guitar, they probably know Al Demiola because anybody that's into guitar, eventually you're going to listen to him just to go, good God, that man can play. Al Demiola was, was a must-see for me. I saw him in the late 80s, early 90s. He's an amazing guitar player. This situation was a little weird because it was just him acoustically, and you could tell that it was kind of an impromptu thing, and he had this percussionist, and it felt thrown together. He's still amazing, but it felt like they needed a name for the marquee, and so they just... And he was, admittedly, he said, you know, this I don't typically do these things. He's very well known in his circles, and he's been around forever. I mean, he's been around since the 70s. My brothers and sisters had albums of Al Demiola. If you play guitar, I encourage you to go check out Elegant Gypsies, because that's just a must-have. I mean, you'll see what we're saying here, but uh, you know, he had some fun stories. It was fun to see him. We had great seats. And, you know, on a cruise like this, what are you going to do? It takes you two minutes to pop into a theater, you know, grab a seat and check it out. So it was different than anything else you're going to see on this cruise, I think. You know, it was okay for what it was. I definitely enjoy him plugged up and in, in, in a band, full band situation more so than this little thing. But uh, it was what it was. Yeah, and I, <laughs> he had a famous percussionist with him. I can't remember the guy's name, but he knows something. <laughs> I don't remember, but you could tell that he they had done no type of rehearsal. This was a true jazz gig where they just sit down and it's improv. And Al knew what he was doing, but the percussion was just kind of listening and then following along. And to be honest, I was not impressed. I was like, "Come on, put a little more into it than that." But that's just me. I'm not a I'm not a jazz cat. I was uh, not impressed. I just wanted somebody to give me a glass of wine. (laughs) (laughs) So then, what did we see after that? So then I think the rest of the night was all us together, right? Yeah. District 97 was next. No, I went up on deck to see McStein and Miniman. You didn't see that. I didn't see that. So I'll I'll cover that in a minute. Go ahead and finish your night uh, with District 97 and the... And we'll talk about the uh, <laughs> the, well, the wrap up, <laughs> the wrap up. <laughs> so the yeah, the other band that I saw. This was a, a day of, of first time for me. So first time seeing Flower Kings, first time seeing Marillion, Riverside, and this other band that I really wanted to see. Who I've been following. They're a younger band called District Ninety Seven. They're from Chicago, Illinois, and they're phenomenal. They this is going to sound like a bad thing, but they have a singer who was on American Idol in two thousand seven. Her name's Leslie Hunt, and she was in the top 20 that year. And if before you go, yuck, she is awesome. She's a really good singer, and she does like this interpretive dance while they play this incredibly technical prog music. And it just, it's fun to watch, man. I wouldn't necessarily call it interpretive dance. I mean, she just, she's feeling the music and dancing with the music, and she's on. A lot of her, 
uh, I'll call them gyrations or or pops. Well, yeah, her, her are on cue though to the music because the music has a lot of as a prog band would the music has a lot of timing changes and and accents and and odd different time signatures yeah odd time signatures and she's she's basically feeling that while she's on stage and she's she's locking that in and she's locked in and she's fun to watch man she's look she is attractive that's the first thing she is attractive well, let's just be honest she's she's hot yeah she's she's <laughs> nice to look at uh baby i love you and so, but yeah she's nice to look at but she can sing uh and the thing about it is is here's my perception of it is that most of the prog bands that I've seen on this thing, and remember, I'm not from this world. Most of the prog bands that I've seen, there's not a whole lot of female power in the prog world, at least what I've seen on this ship. So she's a female singer in a prog band. She's pretty hot. She can sing. She's really, you know, quite good. And she moves around on stage and she's entertaining, whereas most of the bands that I've seen, there's not a whole lot of movement. It's all about their playing, their technical skills, and uh, look at me and all the crazy time signatures. But there's not. It's not entertaining. She was entertaining to watch. If she was in a rock band, I would be excited because I'd be like, "Oh, you, you know, you're you're awesome. You're you're entertaining." Too. 
and they do rock. If you're, you know, if you want to dip your toe into this world, they're a pretty good band to, to do that with because they do rock it. They, they have some crazy time signatures, but sort of like Rush, you know, they have some heavier guitar. And even last night, they brought in uh, Mike Portnoy from, who was formerly in Dream Theater, but they brought him in. They did a, um, a tribute to Taylor Hawkins, the Foo Fighters drummer who passed away. Uh, they played a, an Alanis Morissette song because Taylor Hawkins was the drummer for Alanis Morissette in the early days before he went on to the Foo Fighters. And Portnoy played that song. I forget what the name of the song is, but you ought to know is what they. Th- it was the big off. hit, right? And uh, they were awesome. And then we then we ended the night with. Okay, here here's my thing. I'm just gonna. So I'm a musician. Okay, there's people on this boat, and I think I said it before. People on this boat, probably every other person plays an instrument. The reason they're into prog music is because they love the technical ability of their heroes, and they want to emulate them. Now, if you come on this boat, you bring your instrument, and you sign up to play in this event that they have every night, I would expect that you would own your chops. You know, you would be ready to play. And they had a tribute to Rush last night where they had a bunch of cruisers who kind of got together and didn't have rehearsals, but, you know, everybody has Zoom nowadays. And what we saw was not quite what I expected to see. I expected to see some people just really flexing their progressive rock chops and what we saw was <laughs> it was entertaining <laughs> all right so they have the same thing on monsters of rock cruise they have these cruiser jams uh which usually is the um uh, i don't remember izzy's last name anyway there's a couple guys that arrange it uh, izzy presley thank you but uh there's a couple guys that arrange the uh cruiser jam and they have it on every monsters rock cruise they had the same exact thing on this cruise cruise to the edge uh somebody else arranges it but tuesday night was all rush cover songs and so After District 97 was done, Kevin and I said, well, let's go stick our head in because we're Rush fans. We like Rush. So we walked in, and this is, I'll just be quick about it. This was the site. I saw a hobbit and some dude playing 2112 freaking Temples of Series, and the hobbit was uh, three foot four, and a grandma, and she had long hair. And honestly, she wasn't the part that really fell apart. The drummer did okay. She actually did okay playing bass. The singing is what it is. It's not like Getty's got an amazing voice or anything. But the guitar player, although he was playing it and it was recognizable, there were several parts that he was messing up, and it, and it was way apparent, like it would blare out when he was when he was screwing up and it was cringeworthy uh and then everybody left the stage unfortunately except for the guitar player he stayed for the next song which was the we tree- got a twofer from him we got a twofer from him which was the trees and they did the trees and this guy dressed as a roman and that's not an exaggeration he had a cape and a helmet on well to be clear it, it was cape night it was cape night last night so it's, they do these theme nights it was cape night so he did come dressed in his cape but he also had a roman helmet and a sword (laughs) 
And yeah, that's not an exaggeration <laughs> nor a joke. Can, can I give the context on the cape real quick? Yeah. So, sure, so the reason they ha- the reason they have Cape Night is because originally, like I said, this was the Yes Cruise. Rick Wakeman, who was the keyboardist in Yes for quite a long time, would actually wear a sequin cape on stage in the seventies, and so that's why it's Cape Night. There you go. And tonight's Star Wars night. But anyway. That's what we saw. Kevin looks at me two songs in and goes, yeah, well, I think I've had enough. (laughs) And so that was it for the night. So here's where my night gets interesting. So we leave. Kevin goes back up to his room. I go back to my room. I take a shower. My wife's already sleeping. I get ready for bed. I'm like, what the fuck's my phone? I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I couldn't find my phone anywhere. And I was like, Oh my God. I said, I left my phone somewhere. So I throw on these shorts and a t-shirt, my flip flops. And I go downstairs to the, I went to the star lounge first, which is where Kevin and I finished up the night with the rush thing. And I went to this corner that we were in. They were still playing rush by the way. I went to this corner. I couldn't find anything. I walk out of there. I mean, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt and flip-flops. Not that that's out of place on a cruise, but, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning, essentially. And I'm seeing everybody. Like, I'm seeing Mike Portnoy. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'm not stopping to talk to any of these people. I'm just going. So I couldn't find my my stupid phone. So I said, okay, well, the next place is I got to go back to the Studio B because that's where District 97 was, which was the last thing. And I said, maybe I left it on the bar there. So I went back there. It wasn't there. I got, God damn it. So I walk up to guest services. As soon as I walked up to guest services and guest services area, my watch connected to my phone i'm like my phone's at guest services so luckily somebody had turned in my phone at guest services it got my phone back it was all good but it was a pain in the ass because i was literally i was like showered in 10 seconds from crawling in bed for the night and i had to go run out and run the length of the ship back and forth to find my phone and i'm the one that's been drinking mm-hmm, exactly because <laughs> at this point i've not drank up to this this point in this cruise that's changing tonight because you know kevin's dragging me to see marillion so i've <laughs> got a big sippy cup of of wine so that's pretty much your night. Most of that is my stuff. We pretty much sat by the pool the entire day and hung out. The only thing that Kevin didn't mention that I saw that Kevin didn't is I went up on stage and saw this act called McStein and Miniman on the pool stage because I really liked the songs that were on the uh, playlist that somebody put on there. So I wanted to see him. Randy McStein is a guitar player, songwriter, singer, and the other guy, Miniman, is a uh, yeah, is a drummer. Uh, and so uh, I went and checked them out. I enjoyed them. Two of the four songs that were on the playlist, they played. I got to see them. I thought they were good. You know, I I thought they were good for what they do. It's a little proggy, but they've got some songs. It's a little proggy. It's a little proggy, but they've got some. It is a prog cruise. Yeah, true. (laughs) It's a little proggy, but they got some songs that I think are good. You know, like could also be in the rock world. And I like that they have a lot of harmonies vocal harmonies and stuff like that so i enjoyed what i saw with that and then i think i've already commented on everything else that you've talked about because most of the other stuff i saw with you so that's pretty much our day two in the books for me yep 
That's it. That's it. All right. So and we're on to our number four Rush albums. That's right. So I will start because Kevin's looking for his. My number four favorite Rush album is Permanent Waves. I love this record because, I mean, it starts off with Spirit of Radio. So you got Spirit of Radio, Free Will, Jacob's Ladder. That's just a great record. And then you got Entre New and Different Strings, Natural Science, all good stuff. But, I mean, that's pretty strong songs for this record. Spirit of Radio, I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that that might be one of my favorite Rush tunes. I mean, I just love that song so much. It's a classic. It's a classic, and it's just, I don't ever, that's one of those songs that I almost never get tired of hearing, no matter how many times classic radio plays it or I hear it. I just, I love the tune. I'm with you. That's why it was my number five. There you go. Yeah. So my number four is probably for a, you know, if you're a Rush fanatic, it's probably going to throw you for a bit of a curve, but my number four is their very last album, Clockwork Angels. I think it's phenomenal. And to go out on an album like this with a band who's put out that many albums and, and been around for that long, just amazing. I mean, they put out a concept album, which was their first full concept album. 2112 was half a side, but this was a full concept record. They even had uh, Neil Peart had a book that he co wrote with another guy, Clockwork Angels, the book. It's pretty cool. I got it, you know, with Neil reading it. Uh, I didn't read it. See, I'm not a reader. Me neither. <laughs> but I, I listened it. to it. But it's just a great story. It's uh, it's very cool. It's very science fiction, very proggy. And it was them kind of, to be honest, it was the heavy version of Rush, but it's kind of them visiting everything that they've done up to that point. So basically spanning their entire career. The guitars are very much, Alex plays everything that he's ever done. All of his tricks are in that album. And what's really cool is the first two songs they released, I think, either a year or two years before the album came out as digital singles, which was the only time they ever did that. They released Caravan as a single, and the B-side was B-U to B, and those are the first two songs on Clockwork Angels. And they're different versions. The versions that they put out first, they recorded in Nashville in Blackbird Studios, which is where my band The Swear recorded. So when I got to record in that studio where I knew that Rush had been, I geeked out a little bit. That was with, uh, that's because that was uh, Nick Raskolnik yep. that was doing it, right? Raskolnik, or however you say it. Raskolnik. Yep. Yeah. And so, but then they, they did the rest of the album somewhere else. But it, to me, it's just a phenomenal album. And check it out. If you, if you think that you only like classic Rush, go check this album out. Yeah. I love that you put that album uh, in your top five because it really is a great record. And I didn't touch any of the uh, more recent stuff, but I'm super glad you did put that one in there because it's well worth it especially being that it is the you know the career closing album for them and that's fantastic all right that's it till tomorrow till tomorrow
Hopefully you enjoyed that tune that I dropped in, which I don't know what I'm going to drop in. So I thought it was excellent. <laughs> Look in the show notes. That'll tell you. It was a Star Wars medley because it's May the 4th. Yeah. There you go. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. So this was, uh, we're going to talk about day three here today. And what did we see and what did we like and what did we dislike? And this was a big uh big day full of uh, some different things so you want to get us started and tell us what you saw how your day went day three we were at labandee right yes labandee or labandee or yeah we spent uh we spent time we were ported at the private island of labandee in haiti and it was essentially a beach day so my wife and i we got off the ship and did a beach day and it was nice. I mean, it was a beautiful day. The only thing I will say is the fact that I got in the water and 10 seconds after I got in the water, the sea ate my sea card. So <laughs> I couldn't get back on the ship. That was fun. <laughs> I had to go to security and get them to make me a new card and prove who I was and uh, take care of all that stuff. So, yay. So what are you going to lose tomorrow? You lost your phone one day. You lost your C card. That's right. What's coming up? (laughs) Uh, Apparently, I have to put everything in like a uh, chain around my uh, neck so that I don't lose anything. I'm a hot mess. What can I tell you? (laughs) I spent the first part of the day on the island getting sun. I didn't see anything, obviously, in the morning. They really don't have a whole lot of stuff that starts early on this cruise like we said at the beginning most of the cruisers are they're older so it doesn't go late 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 into the night and it doesn't start real early either so usually about uh 11 30 12 30 somewhere and around there is when it starts what did you see yesterday yeah so we we did completely separate things so i got off the i I got up i worked out and then uh i did a little too much so i was in pain and so i was like i'm just gonna get off the boat for a little bit and i just kind of went for a walk and then i got back on the boat pretty quick because i'm like all right my legs are killing me i'm gonna go up to the pool stage and just chill and that was my plan but i didn't realize that they would be sound checking for like I don't know, it must have been an hour they were sound checking for the first band. So at 11.30, I heard a band called Empty Pockets, which is kind of a blues funk band. So go figure. And they're also Al Stewart's backup band. Right, yeah. They were were really good, but it was just a little out of place. But, you know, I was laying out by the pool, so it was fine. I was getting burned. It was all right. (laughs) So then I went down and uh, at noon they had a Marillion Q&A so I went to the Royal Theater and I watched the Marillion Q&A and they were really funny dudes just that dry English humor that's uh, I don't know I just find endearing and uh, that wasn't very long it was maybe 30 minutes that they did that well let me ask a question because you were on the you were at the beach did Marvin play they were supposed to play yeah, on so, the beach, right? Yeah. I said it once before. Marvin is the utility band for the prog rock cruise. They can do any style. Marvin was on the stage on the island when we did a Monsters of Rock cruise back in 2019. We came to Lavendee and the Rock and Roll Residency played the same stage. It's just a stage out in the open. They've got beach chairs and things like that. 
Marvin played kind of almost like a beachy island jazzy set. It was nice. I mean, we, we just watched a couple of seconds of it while we we're passing through, so we didn't stay and watch it. But, uh, you know, it was nice. It went with the theme. All right. Well, then, I guess by the time you guys got back on the boat, yeah, we then went to Merlion. Yeah, I'll pick it up from there, right? We we stayed on the island for the majority of the day. I had the issue with the car. We got that squared away, came back, took showers because I knew that uh, we had Merlion at 515. Today was our day to do the red laminates for the Merlion show. Kevin said, you can't miss it. My wife wasn't going to go, so I gave Kevin our other red laminate so that he could see Merlion twice and Kevin and yeah, it's all good. Kevin and I went to the Marillion show at 5:15. I also purchased a bottle of wine so that I could drink half a bottle before going to Marillion so that I had even a land shot at liking this. So that so I got nice and buzzed because I wanted to make it easy on Kevin. Uh, you know, I want to be a cheap date. So there you go. <laughs> so, all right. So we picked that up, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I, you know, I mentioned before, Merlion is one of those bands that I've loved since the late 80s and never been able to see them. Saw them for the second time. I thought they were fantastic. They played the same set with the exception of the encore. They switched out one of the songs in the encore, but it was the same set, which was basically they played their entire new album which is an excellent album, in my opinion. Yeah. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Is it my turn? Go ahead. Kevin, I love you. <laughs> but. <laughs> let me just, I hear a let me just start that up. Okay. Here's the most honest opinion and open-eared opinion I can give from my perspective. When the band came on, you could tell right away the difference in this band and all the rest of the bands. They were honestly a headlining band, and that was apparent from the get-go. It was a big production in terms of sound and lighting. It sounded fantastic. You understood why this band was playing theaters and arenas versus some dingy club. So that was apparent from the get-go. It sounded amazing. So there's no doubt about that. Their fans love them. They're fa they definitely have a fan base. There's no doubt about that. Musically. They're fine players. There's nothing wrong with their playing abilities. For me personally, and this is just a personal preference, the music is just too mellow for me and mellow straight through. It builds at various times. The guy, you can tell the singer is very animated. He's very professional at what he does. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to command the stage. All that was all apparent, every bit of it. The, my wife texted me at one point because we got her in a little bit later. She came in and sat in the back and watched a little bit of the show. She texted me and goes, is that guitar player asleep? Because he's sort of snoozy. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, he doesn't move around a lot. He's, you know, he's playing. He's plugged. She asked me if he was plugged in. I said, yes, he's plugged in. Uh, Did but, she not hear his amazing leads? Yeah, the guy was leading yeah. all over the place. The guy, the guy plays great. It's just visually, other than Steve, the singer, there's not a whole lot to watch. It's just for me personally, and this is just my opinion, the music is just too monotone for me. It just 
doesn't go anywhere. I don't connect with the lyrics. And there are a couple of places in there, and I've said all along, I'm not a lyric person. There are a couple of places in there where, like, I'm on a cruise, and he, unfortunately, he's talking about his friend dying of cancer, and here's our next song. Here's a song about cancer, and I'm like, oh, man. So there were a couple of times where he bought, bought it down for me, and it's just... I'm always amazed at music and the way that it hits people in different ways. So for me, not my bag. I just, I wasn't, I didn't, I respected the playing. The sound was amazing. Lighting production was amazing. I understood they looked like professionals up there. I got all of that, but it didn't connect with me musically. But I looked to my left and I've got this guy that listens to Motorhead or Kiss and loves this stuff, but then can turn right around and weep because he's seen Marillion for the second time. And I'm like, this is the true beauty of music is that it connects with people in different ways. And one man's shit is another man's awesomeness and vice versa. And that, to me, that's what moves me. It's whatever moves you within music. And that, that thing that is music is what moves me, that it connects with one person in a completely different way than it connects with another person. Because Kevin's not alone in his love for this band. There are people on this boat that would die for this band and good on them. Uh, but, you know, give me some rat and roll and I'm much happier. I'm good with the rat and roll too, but, <laughs> exactly. yeah, but yeah, I, I love this band. I think if anybody listening, who's not heard Marillion, if you're into kind of that emotional sort of whisper to shout and they don't even get shouty really, it's just whisper to a build, you know, it's very emotional, a very orchestrated. They have a lot of padding, kind of like rush. I used to tell people they were like the British version of rush in the eighties. Wow. So Rush in the 80s. I definitely don't make that connection at all. I don't know how I would describe Marillion to somebody. The, uh, the emotional music part is correct. The, it's definitely, I think, a lyrics band. So you need to listen to the lyrics of this band and what they're saying and connect with them. But that's all I would say with that. And I mean... You know, I'm I'm the same guy that likes Metallica and rap, but turns around and loves a band like the Eagles. But I'm glad Kevin got to see Marillion twice. That's why he was on this cruise, and he was happy with both times, so I'm happy. That's the bottom line. After the Marillion show, I left a few minutes early. They got through the whole album, but then they were going to come back and do the encore. I asked Kevin how much longer. He said two or three songs. I said, okay, I can't wait. So I left two or three songs before the end of the Marillion show because I needed to make my way to Studio B because one of the bands that I had pre-investigated before the cruise was this band from Sweden. Go figure. Even on uh, Prague Cruise, it's Swedish bands called Moon Safari. And the way Moon Safari was described to me, and even at the beginning of the show, somebody came out and introduced them as the Beach Boys of Prague Rock. So I was intrigued. I was like, okay, the four songs I heard on the playlist I really enjoyed, they're these huge, like, three-part harmonies, really big vocals. And I was like, okay, first, are they going to pull it off live or is it going to be a backtrack? And second, I kind of liked the songs and how they went. They're interesting songs. And interesting in a way that I would say like a jellyfish is interesting to me, sort of that same similar thing. So I went there to catch them. And 
they came out and really I didn't know what to think at first because the way it's set up, so they had a keyboard player to uh, stage right, they had a keyboard player in the middle of the stage, and they had a guitar player to stage left and a drummer and a bass player. They had a bass player that was like six foot seven. He, I think he plays basketball in his spare time. This guy was tall, tall and like a toothpick. He was, wow. He walked on stage. My wife goes, holy shit, that guy's like seven foot tall. And so uh, they launched into a song and big, huge three-part harmonies. The thing for me is that at first it was a little awkward. And the way that it was awkward is because the lead singer is the keyboard player in the center of the stage, and he's kind of pinned behind his keyboards. So visually, there wasn't much to see. Sound-wise, it's huge. I don't know that I would call them the Beach Boys of Prague. I would say it's like they take Queen and earlier progressive sticks and put them in a blender, and that's what you get because they have these big almost theatrical moments in a lot of music that you would hear from Queen, but they also have these huge three-part harmonies that sound glorious. I mean, they sound great, and I do not... They were not using packing tracks because there were a couple times where they they almost go acapella, but they're not quite acapella, uh, and you could tell there were a couple places where the guy hits the note on the keyboard to get their pitch in check and then they launch into it and it was like wow and so they played they played the songs that were on the playlist the three or four songs i liked plus a bunch of their other stuff i really was impressed like i'm going up to see them next uh when they play again on the pool stage but i just i totally enjoyed them they were intriguing to me they sounded good and then towards the end of the set the keyboard player slash singer says, hey, you might have noticed we're missing a guy. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we're missing our lead singer. I'm like, holy shit. I looked at Jen. I go, holy shit. Their lead singer isn't even here. So I'm assuming that sometimes they do four-part harmonies, but they sounded amazing. And their lead singer's not there because their lead singer was having another baby and it was his second baby. So he stayed home in Sweden. So that also explains some of the awkwardness because I'm assuming that the keyboard player that was center stage doing the lead vocals is usually maybe off to the side and they have a lead singer that fronts the band so i really wish i could see this band full on and what they're what they're like because i'm going to go look them up on youtube and see if i can find a live video because i was really impressed i like them a lot i like queen and i like sticks so maybe that has something to do with it but when i say sticks i'm talking about earlier proggy sticks like first few albums which are not my favorite sticks but i can recognize their vocal talents and their vocal harmonies and that's that's what was present in a lot of their music uh, but their music is very interesting i mean it's it's sort of all over the place i can't pinpoint a style that's why i say jellyfish because uh a lot of you know jellyfish has a lot of that elements especially in a record like spilled milk for them it's sort of in different places so
members of the jury, there is truth be told. Nothing I can say you don't already know. I guess it all started when I first laid eyes on something all too pretty for my childish sight. Such a light got me hypnotized. And though my pretty face and velvet voice would do, I wish to bring a gift to show my love so true. First I pick some flowers, then I realize For this I need a greater scheme, a bigger dream A surprise, worthy of her blue eyes I climbed up again on Heaven Hill That's where I found my Sad as a sea where lights no more Stranger in a 
what I had been told is they're very much like a yes kind of band, and I didn't really hear that. But maybe I was trying to listen for yes and not hearing it. But now that you say that Jellyfish, that makes more sense because it was a little more Beatles-esque kind of harmonies, I thought. Um, I'm, I'm going to check them out. And certain, I mean, look, there are certain elements of yes in their music too. So, I mean, I don't disagree with that. You have to make your own mind up. But nothing nothing in their set that I heard screamed out to me yes, right? Interesting. So, I went to see Wishbone Ash, who was the band we were supposed to see the Sail Away, the first Sail Away show, the first day, but they didn't show up and we didn't really know why. What we found out was that the bass player for Wishbone Ash got COVID and did not make the boat, obviously. And so they were without a bass player. So they took two days to rehearse with Martin Barr's bass player, Martin Barr, who was in Jethro Tull. He's on the boat. I'm going to see him at some point. But apparently his bass player is phenomenal. And so he learned all the Wishbone Ash stuff, which Wishbone Ash are more of a late 60s, early 70s, hard rock, not so much progressive, kind of blues based, kind of jammy. And they even made a comment last night that, yeah, we were the original jam band because we didn't have enough songs. So we just played these songs for 20 minutes. And that's, that's why we're the original jam band. But they, you know, they started in 1969. This band's been around a long time. They only have one of the original members left, Andy Powell, and they were known for their guitar harmonies. So people that dig Maiden and Priest, well, this was the band, and Thin Lizzy even, this was the band that sort of started that whole guitar harmony thing. And you can even go find quotes from Steve Harris of Iron Maiden saying, you want to know what Maiden's all about? Go listen to Argus. And that's what they did last night. They played... uh, Three song trilogy from Argus and just everybody on the pool stage was going crazy. Argus is the Wishbone Ash That's, album. That is the album. Yes, I didn't want people to get f- confused and go, "Well, who's this band?" Argus. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm Wishbone sorry. Ash. Yep. Wishbone Ash. Argus. So their their album from '72. It's an anniversary of that album this year. So that's people were wanting them to play that, and they did. That's probably their most proggy album. That's also probably their most famous album, it is, right? Yep. So that's the yep. perennial record to go to for them. And Andy made a he made a joke on stage. He said, "You know, when we released that album, Argus, it knocked Tall off the charts, and now we have the Tall, uh, you know, Martin Barr's bass player playing the bass on it." <laughs> he was he just thought that was funny for some reason, but they were great, man. They um they just kind of commanded the stage. They played some newer stuff too, and I thought their newer songs were actually pretty good. So I'm gonna go check that out. The one thing that's missing is the original band, the bass player, was also a singer. And they did a lot of harmonies. And there's only one singer now. Andy's the only guy singing. So that's the only thing missing. I was filling in the harmonies for him. He just didn't invite me on stage. And do we think that they're missing because their bass player that's currently in the band is not in the band? I'm assuming that okay. they would. But, I mean, the original guy's not there anymore. But it was their two voices that blended to give them a, a very unique sound. Which I would imagine that the guy that took over think base, so. yeah, I would think so, is doing that. Okay, awesome. Uh, so I didn't see Wishbone Ash. We were at dinner at this point after Moon Safari. I caught Stu Ham in the Star Lounge for a short period of time because I didn't have great places to sit without being 
my sight line was distracted by poles and, and beams and things like that. So I watched Stu Ham for two or three songs. We talked about him earlier in this podcast. Stu Ham's just an amazing bass player. He's played with Steve Vai and Joe Satriani, uh, probably the most famous people, and then uh, a boatload of other people. But it was cool. You know, he's an amazing bass player. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, and then I also caught a little bit of Will Doherty and Tyson Leslie in the Schooner Lounge doing dueling pianos. And that was cool because they were taking requests and they were playing all kinds of stuff from uh, Don Henley to Jellyfish. They even played some Jellyfish and it was awesome. So I saw them last night play Something to Believe in, the Poison song. And they were proggers singing it. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. yeah see, they like to rock too. Uh, Exactly. They played Nothing Else Matters by Metallica, and people were cheering for that as well. So I think prog rock people also have uh, one toe in uh, the heavy metal world. For sure. I I wanted to mention before we talk about the next bands, I was at the merch booth up on the pool stage before Wishbone Ash. I I went by the merch booth, and I'm looking around, and I didn't notice until yesterday that they actually have CDs and vinyl because they're in the cases. I was just looking at the shirts the previous days. And so I went, I love vinyl. I'll go check it out. And they had some vinyl from Goblin and Goblin is an Italian band. So you don't really see Goblin albums all the time. So I thought I'll pick those up. I look to my left and I see a guy buying, honest to God, a guy buying a cruise to the edge t-shirt. And I look at him and I look on the album cover that I just bought and I'm like, that's Claudio from Goblin <laughs> buying a T-shirt. <laughs> and so this other guy standing next to me, that's uh, Claudio. He's like, yeah, that's Claudio. I said, man, I wish I had a pen. And the guy goes, I have three in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and so he gave me a gold Sharpie and I, Claudio signed my Goblin album that I just purchased. So Cruise to the Edge is no different than Monsters of Rock Cruise. All the people that are in these bands are pretty much among us you know there's nowhere for them to go they're on the boat with their families and they're having a vacation along with playing a couple of gigs so you have people that are you know getting pictures and selfies with people and for me and i'll make i keep making this joke but that's because it's entertaining to me is the bottom line is on this cruise it's like people getting selfies with Bob from accounting and, <laughs> and crazy old Uncle Jim and stuff like that. It's Hi, like, I'm Steve from IT. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let me get a picture. Oh, look, it's Jim from IT. What's uh, what's that? No, man, that's the bass player from Wishbone Ash and, you know, just all this crazy stuff. That's a singer from Marillion, dude. <laughs> like, really? Because he looks like Uncle Claudio. Yeah. Well, yeah, so... So I just happened to look over and yeah, Claudio's buying a t-shirt, <laughs> an artist buying a t-shirt at the merch stand. There you go. <laughs> he wants a keepsake. I guess so. I thought that was pretty funny. So I went to, my next stop was Alan Parsons and this was one of the laminate shows. So the, the blue laminates, my, my laminate got to go last night. And I know you went to another show you're about to talk about, and I was really, really thinking about going to that show you went to. I kind of wish I would have, but I wanted to stick it out because you can only see Alan Parsons once. And I'm not a huge Alan Parsons fan. I have a few albums. It was good. I mean, it was a production. It was like Marillion. It was a big production and in the Royal Theater. It was almost overproduced and to the point of 
the guitarist coming out on on the side stage at the exact same time doing their moves and everybody's along the front and everybody in that band sings you're, you're gonna see it i think next time but everybody in the band sings and everybody got a turn to sing lead and they have i think five across the front you got a guy that plays sax he plays percussion he plays guitar you have alan parsons who i, I want to get your take after you see it he comes out and he looks like pavarotti He's got like a red scarf around him. He's kind of a big dude now. And he goes up and they basically put him in the middle on this riser. And he plays acoustic guitar the whole time, which you can never hear. Oh, he's a keyboard player. I thought so too. He has a keyboard next to him. I saw him hit it once in the encore. Interesting. He has a keyboard player. They have a keyboard player who's awesome. Everybody in the band is awesome. And, you know, it's pop prog. It's very poppy. It's all, you forget how many songs you know by Alan Parsons. You just don't think about it until you hear him live. Like, man, I know that song. I know that song. I know that song. And it was, it was good. But it was, um, you know, it's prog rock. It was a little pretentious. It was uh, a little overdone, but it's still enjoyable. Yeah. I'll catch that later on today. I mean, we're recording the morning of, so. Uh, we're recapping yesterday's events, and then I'll see Alan Parsons later today. But, uh, yeah, so the other show that Kevin was talking about is one of the bands I was told to make sure I catch on this cruise was a band called Haken because they had big vocal harmonies and they were a heavier guitar band. And I was like, okay, big vocals, guitars, I'm in. So I was excited. They're on my list to see. They were playing the pool stage at the same time that Kevin had his laminates for Alan Parsons. So uh, it was easy for us. We got done with dinner. We went up onto the pool stage and got ready for them. They came out and they were doing, this is what was interesting, but also fun, is they they were doing a whole set of cover songs. So I was like, okay, well, this will kind of be cool, but it doesn't really tell me what the band is like because, you know, they're not playing any of their original music. So they're doing two sets on the boat. They're playing a set of covers, which was the show that I was at. And then later on, which will be the last day of the cruise, they're playing a set of their own material on a different stage. So I said, okay, well, this is fine because it's not like I know all their material. I didn't have that much time to spend listening to their songs. Uh, So, okay, cool. So the cover songs that they chose were pretty good. They were very well-known songs for the most part, except this one song by a band called Gentle Giants, and it was called Two Weeks in Spain. I actually liked the song. I had to look it up to see who it was by because I didn't know, but... I enjoyed the song. That was the second song they played, but they opened up with Genesis. What did I tell you that it was? Turn It On. That's right. They opened up with Genesis, Turn It On, then they launched straight into Toto, Hold the Line. So these are all songs that I love. They did them really well. They played two Yes songs. Are they heavy them up? I mean, yeah, but those songs generally are sort of heavy as well. You know what I mean? For that time period. So, yes, they were heavier because they were live, but at the same time, those songs are sort of heavy to begin with. They played Owner of a Lonely Heart by Yes. They played Run Around by Yes. They played Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. I think you mean Roundabout. What did I say? Run Around. Run Around's Van Halen, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. I need need somebody to direct me prog-wise. But, yeah, a famous Yes song. (laughs) So they played that. They played Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. I already said that. The big thing was in the middle of the set, <laughs> and this is the best because this is 
this shows the band has great uh, humor to them. In the middle of the set, they play Big Bottom by Spinal Tap. And I said, oh, well, that's, that's fun. That's cool. And they played it great, and they did a great job. But they don't stop there. Well, I was going to ask, did they all play basses? No, they oh, did not. No, that would no, that'd they been didn't. too much. But the guy had his tone sounding like it and everything. So I think they probably had like a keyboard doubling the bass sound or something, but it sounded just like it. They did a really good job of it. Uh, so they played Big Bottom from Spinal Tap. I thought that was going to be it, and I was cool with that, and I thought that's cool. It's kind of funny. But they didn't stop there. They went from Big Bottom by Spinal Tap into Stonehenge, by Spinal Tap, speaking parts and all. I was like, holy shit. And they nailed the speaking parts, like the drummer was like in the beginning, and they had all this keyboard background layered music, and you could just literally picture Spinal Tap on stage doing this. And they did it to a T. I mean, it was perfect. And then right in the middle of the song, after they launched, launched into Stonehenge, Sure enough, they had about a three-foot-tall freaking Stonehenge drop from the lighting trust, and it landed on the ground. Then one of the techs came and did a jig around it and walked off. Our Stonehenge got trampled by little people. (laughs) It was... I couldn't stop laughing. It was so fantastic, and the crowd... What went well is that it was on the it was on the pool stage, so the wind was already blowing. So the wind was like you know sixty degree wind out there to begin with, and it was blowing. And then what they did is they've got so they've got this big charity thing that they're doing on board. Not the band Haken, but Haken is part of it. They're doing this charity for special needs kids, and all the artists are donating different things to the charity so that they can auction them off and raise money for the charity. Well, so they dropped Stonehenge at the end and each one of the band members signed it. And that was one of the the things that they're donating to the auction was the actual little miniature Stonehenge. The guy goes, I think one of y'all can fit this in your luggage. You should be okay. So that was funny because that to me, that's just good humor and fun. And they're British. And he mentioned that. He goes, this is our our way of uh, British dry humor, you know. So hopefully you'll appreciate that. Uh, and it was just a good time. They blew me away. They sounded great. And then they closed out the uh, set by saying, hey, maybe we should do at least one Haken tune. And they happened to do the song Cockroach, which is off their playlist that I had. It was one of the songs on the playlist. So I actually knew the song, which was cool. Uh, I like it. It's an interesting song. It's uh, kind of kooky, but uh, still a still cool tune. Cockroach and its promise. I fantasized about soaring with golden wings. Hypnotized by the cockroach and its promise. I was compromised by a treasure that was fit for fools. Oh 
Haken, H-A-K-E-N. Yeah, I can't wait to see them. They're another one of the reasons I wanted to go on this cruise is because I love that band. They don't tour the States that often. I think they were just here, I guess it was two years ago now, but they've had two albums in the past couple of years, one called Vectors and the other one's called Virus, I believe. They're really good. Check them out. So that was the end of our night. We ended our night there and uh, overall just had a, a great time. That was a great way to end the night for us. That was it for you as well? That was it for me. All right, let's move on to the Rush portion of this because, you know, it's a prog podcast. We've got to have Rush. So my number three top five Rush album is the Almighty 2112. This album for me, it speaks for itself, first of all. It's a, you know, one side concept album, and it's just, it's an amazing album. Why this album was important to me personally is my journey in Rush started with moving pictures, and then I went back to the beginning and started with stuff. And then I talked about various albums. 2112, by the time I got to 2112 in going through the catalog, that was the album that kept me a Rush fan because it was rock and it was, you know, even though I had gotten into signals and and stuff like that grace under pressure some of the more keyboardy records i went back to 2112 and said man this band still had a lot of rock back then and so i really love 2112 2112 as far as the band is concerned also that was the album that saved the band basically the band was on the verge of you know destitution at this point and when they put out 2112 and had all the success in the world this is also the album where the record label said you know what you guys do what you're going to do for the rest of your careers and, you know they had the the clause in the contract that basically said we're not we're not going to be involved in what you guys do creatively put together the album that you want to put together and we'll put it out and i think that that was monumental for a band like rush you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's interestingly enough, that is an album that did not make my top five, although you talk to me tomorrow and that may be different. I love that album too. I'm not a huge fan of side two for some reason. I love the whole album, but side one is so good that when I get to side two, it's a little bit of a letdown just because side one is so powerful to me, but great album. So my, what is this? Number three? Yeah. My number three, probably another one that's you wouldn't really expect, but it has meaning to me, kind of like 2112 has meaning to you, and it's a show of hands. It's the live album that came out in 1989, and the reason I picked this is this was my introduction to Rush. So a friend of mine had given me a tape, a cassette tape, of another album, which we'll be talking about. I think both of us will be talking about that. And from there, I went, I'm going to go get whatever the latest album is, and a show of hands was out. It was the live album that was out. And this live album covers basically the 80s. It's all the 80s stuff. So it's everything, you know, permanent waves through then Hold Your Fire. So it's got all the, to me, the great 80s stuff. A lot of Rush fans, they're kind of so-so on the 80s, depending on when they got into the band. If they were into the band in the 70s, they probably don't like the 80s stuff as much. If you came in at this time, though, this album is a must because it's got all the best songs and 
the best way to hear Rush is live. And this is just an incredible album. And if you can go watch the the DVD or catch it streaming, it's even better because they're a visual band. And to see all the lights and all the background visuals that they have, they always have different kinds of montages and, and movies playing behind the songs. So just a great album to me. It was, again, my introduction to 80s Rush, and this it started the whole thing for me. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, a lot of people agree. Uh, the way to hear Rush is not through necessarily a greatest hits, but rather a live album that is essentially a greatest hits, right? But you're getting it live, and that's the way that you want to hear Rush a lot of the times is live versus the studio takes. Yep. All right. That's it. Until tomorrow. We'll finish all this up tomorrow, too, because pretty much the final day is musically for me is going to be today and tonight because tomorrow I'll spend most of the time on the private island before returning home on Saturday and you know I might catch a couple shows tomorrow tomorrow night but it's probably bands I've already seen all right thanks This is the capper on the cruise. These are This is going to be days four and five because as we're recording this, we're in the pretty much the end of day five. So on our way back to the port of Canaveral. And just like the Monsters of Rock cruise, these crews end before they get started. It seems like you see so many shows and it's just like bang, 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 bang. And you do a little relaxing. I spent all day on the island today. It I thought fantastic. it was Monday. Fantastic. <laughs> no, you just have to look in the elevators at the little things on the uh, elevators tell you what day it is. That is, I only noticed that two days ago. Really? <laughs> see, that's because that's you're drinking your Tito's. <laughs> yes, I am. So this is the last day. So I am. Get that drink package, boy. I am going to get my money's worth tonight. I'm pretty sure you got your money's worth three days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Just so we're clear. All right, so days 
four and five. Let's start with day four. The first show for, I think, both of us on day four was Moon Safari on the pool deck. It was my second time seeing Moon Safari. I already talked about them earlier. What did you think of Moon Safari? So someone had told me to go listen to Moon Safari before I went on the cruise, and they said, if you like Yes, you're going to love Moon Safari. They're like the Beach Boys mixed with Yes. And I listened to two albums, and it didn't hit me. It didn't work. Uh, I thought it was okay, but it was, I don't know, something about the studio albums didn't hit me. But then when we saw them live, I thought they were really good. And actually, I got more of a AOR kind of Toto feel from them. And once I got in that mindset of like 80s AOR kind of thing, I was cool with them. But I think when I listened to them previously, I was thinking, all right, I'm expecting some kind of yes craziness and i didn't get it so it it's all about my where my mind is you know where my head is yeah and like i referenced before very queen and uh sticks thrown in a prog blender for me definitely sticks uh so i enjoyed them again we baked out there in the sun i think it was was 130 degrees in the (laughs) sun (laughs) there was no cover (laughs) all i could do is like oh my god i think i'm literally frying out here uh, I wore a black T-shirt just so because I knew I was just going to soak it, and like that way, at least you don't see the stains. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I ran straight from Moon Safari to see Saga in the Royal Theater because uh, I've never seen Saga. I, I mean, I've always liked On the Loose, the song On the Loose, and a couple other tunes, but I didn't really know that much about them outside of that. So I definitely wanted to see them. Uh, I checked them out. They sounded great to me. They put on a pretty good show. Uh, they were a little late starting, but and they played a little bit longer than an hour set, but I thought they were really good. And when they launched into On the Loose, man, they killed that song. That song live sounded so good. And they're a little bit heavier live like it uh, on than on album. I mean, to me, it was not that far off of something like a Honeymoon Suite not that they sound exactly like them, but um, I'm saying maybe about that heavy live. Obviously, they're a lot more proggy than Honeymoon Suite, so I'm not really saying they sound like them. It's just the level of heaviness, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And most people only know them for that song or that mm-hmm. album, Worlds Apart. And what was that, 82, 83, somewhere around He said there? it was the 40th anniversary of it. So 82. Uh, this year so yeah that's crazy but yeah before that they were very much a proggy prog band and then they kind of went aor a little bit they did what every prog band did in the 80s they kind of went a little more commercial and they had a hit and uh, unfortunately it didn't really they didn't have any more hits after that but yeah i went to see goblin again i just i loved goblin the first time we saw him and i had to see him again and they were great and since Claudio and I were buddies now, you know, <laughs> I thought I'd check them out again. They were uh, they were awesome again. They played the same set. It was in Studio B, no difference. But they rocked out more because they had more space. Claudio basically said, who's this American kid yeah. bugging the shit out of me? Yeah, He's, he put security on me and I had to leave early. <laughs> what was next for you? Next for me, uh, I caught a little bit of Adrian Blue on the pool stage, but it was so hot yesterday, man, I just, I couldn't stay long. So I saw him play a couple of King Crimson songs. If you don't know who Adrian Blue is, he's kind of like a talking heads type of 
solo artist, but then he was also in King Crimson in the 80s. So there's been different versions of King Crimson in every decade, and he was the guy in the 80s and the early 90s. Yeah, he's a guitar player, Yeah, basically. Uh, so it was my day to check out Alan Parsons. Uh, it was Red Laminates for Alan Parsons' show in the Royal Theater. I got to tell you, I went in with sort of low expectations. I mean, I'm a very casual fan. Like, I don't think I can name one song outside of Eye in the Sky and Games People Play. Maybe a couple of things. They did one song that apparently was a hit of theirs that I did not even know was theirs. That freaking uh, funk tune. What is it? Uh Shit, I can't think of the name of it now. Yeah. Anyway. There's so many songs of theirs, and you're like, damn, I know this song. Yeah. So here's what I'll say about Alan Parsons. I thought they were awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be right up front. Alan, it's a little bit of a weird situation because Alan Parsons, <laughs> he's pretty old at this point, but he's also heavy set. He can barely walk. So he kind of had to you know, walk very slowly out, and then they had to help him up on the riser, and they put him on this keyboard riser in the middle of the stage back i mean he comes up front once towards the end of the show but he's never really up front so the band consists of eight total people he's got a couple of guitar players a bass player he's got a keyboard player a drummer a sax player that also plays percussion but let me just say this they're coming off the end of a tour so they've been on tour but they were like a well-oiled machine. I mean, it was precise, and it sounded amazing. And every one of the dudes in that band took a lead vocal solo, and they were killer. I mean, they were killer. <laughs> the only vocalist that wasn't as good was Alan Parsons. Literally, and that's, that's 100%. We never talked about that, but you're dead on with that. You're absolutely right. And I'm telling you what, man, when you get eight dudes that can play their instruments well and sing, it's magic no matter what the genre is to me. And really, I'm not sure I would call them a prog band. There's no weird time signatures or anything. It's kind of straight up just, you know, maybe power. I, I don't know about power pop, but pop. It's prog pop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I really enjoyed them much more than I thought. And I'll, and I'll say another thing. Live, I thought they came off way heavier live. Uh, and that's, when I say that, I'm not talking about Metallica heavy. I'm just talking about, I listened to, like, they opened up with this song, Something Higher. And I went and listened to the song uh, on Spotify. And I was like, this is the same song? And it's pretty decent. I mean, it's good melody, uh, good, you know, good course, good hooks. But live, the guitar is so much more out front. Like, I really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, I was that I was blown away by them, actually. I they, was, they rocked out Eye in the Sky. I was really surprised. They rocked out. They played all the, you know, all the hits you would expect them to play. And the guitarist was fantastic, right? Yeah, the, the blonde uh, younger guy. I mean, he looks younger from where I was. but The guy was 58. He was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, both guitar players are pretty good. The other one sang really well as, as well. But, yeah, that I enjoyed uh, Alan Parsons for sure. That's cool. I'm glad you liked that. I went to, when you were doing that, I went to the McBroom sisters. I saw them for a second time. And same thing. They basically played the same set. And uh, they had Leslie Hunt from District 97 and the other girls singing. So they had four singers across the front. They didn't do as much storytelling this time. They just kind of played the songs. And 
you could tell they were having fun though. They're just really fun to watch. And it's great to see, like I said before, it's great to see all those Pink Floyd songs in a club. You want to go into your experience with Transatlantic, even though it didn't actually happen at seven? Oh my God. <laughs> the, the, we were supposed to go in at seven to the Royal Theater for Transatlantic. I guess Alan Parsons had run over because Saga had run over. And it just, you know, because it of that, snowballed. it just snowballed. I think they were an hour to 45 minutes to an hour late going on. There were people standing in line as usual. Like the, the guys told them it's going to be 45 minutes. Go do something else. Nobody left. Yeah. I'm like, see ya. Thank you. Which is stupid because it's all reserved seating. Yeah. There's I mean, no reason for you to stand. There's no reason to stand for any of the laminate shows because they were you people have a sitting seat. on the stairs, sitting on the yeah. stairs for an hour yeah like go do something super dumb uh yeah i think we said that right if it's a laminate show you got reserved seats so they're your assigned uh seats walk in yeah you know so transatlantic they are a super group i think last time you talked about them when you saw them you mentioned two guys there's there are super groups i'm going to mention all the guys that are in the band okay i don't don't remember who (laughs) i mentioned i did say i did say i understood there were a super group it's just Mike Portnoy and some other dudes, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, the other dudes are, so Neil Morse plays keyboards and sings. He was in a band called Spock's Beard back in the 90s. A lot of prog fans know him. He also has the Neil Morse band, and Portnoy's in that band, too. And then on guitar, you have, and I, I figured out I was saying it wrong, it's Rowena, Rowena Stolt, who was in the Flower Kings. And just like I said the other night, he couldn't sing. So he had the other guy. They have another. Did he sit in the transatlantic He, he set? did not sit. He stood, but he tried to sing a couple times, and he kept pressing on his voice, yeah. and the guy behind him would sing. Yeah. They had an extra Same guy thing. in there. And then you have Pete Chiravis on bass, who is Marillion's bass player. So I got to see Pete three times on this cruise. Look so at you. You're I a regular Pete super, fanatic. I am a Pete man, so I was super happy. Man, so Flower King set should be really good tonight then. I am definitely not going to see the Flower Kings tonight. Because <laughs> he's the main singer in that he, band, right? Or he's he, the only singer. He is. Well, he had the other guitarist singing. He was great, yeah. but it's not the same. Yeah. So I'm not going to go see Flower Kings. But here's the thing with Transatlantic. So they played their entire new album. Now, the new album that they put out in 2021, they put it out three different versions. And And I think, let me interrupt real mm-hmm. quick. I think... My understanding was you guys got the full album and I got all the quote unquote hits. Okay. So, yeah. So they're on their fifth album. They've been around since 1999. They're a super group. So they get together basically whenever they're not in their other bands. And so they put this album out two years ago or maybe a year ago. I think it was a year ago. And they put out three versions of this new album. And so they have a a normal version, they had an extended version, and then they had a Blu-ray version with like 5.1 surround sound that had even more songs on it. I'm just curious, in an extended version of a transatlantic album, does that mean that it's gone from four and a half hours to two days? Yeah, pretty much. In length? Okay, just curious. Three LPs. In the extended version. And then they have and that's a, only two songs. And then they have it pretty much. And then they have a Blu-ray version, which has even more songs. And Portnoy came out and he said, we're going to play the extended Blu-ray version. 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh man, strap in. They knew we got to the island at 7.30 this morning, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so I love Transatlantic, but that was too long. Did you was, leave early? No, I didn't leave early. I stayed through the whole thing, but I was, my legs were sore because I had <laughs> I had done some rowing before and I was like, man, I'm ready to go. This is too much. It's just a lot. It's, there's a lot of notes in those three hours. <laughs> so, and they played for almost three hours. So they they were they started late and they went long. Wow! But it was good. I mean, if you like more Mike Portnoy, you got your fill of Mike Portnoy last night. <laughs> I don't think I like anybody that much. God dang! <laughs> All right. So while you did Transatlantic, I did this band called Nectar, and Kevin will help me out here. I believe that Nectar is an old school prog band, like literally from the seventies. I think I'm going to say they're a a B level prog band from okay. the seventies. So when I played their songs on the playlist, I sort of enjoyed it. I thought they were okay. So they made my list of bands that I kind of wanted to see. They weren't at the head of the class, but they were they were like you know if you're not doing anything else and nothing else is going on, go check them out. And that was the case last night for Nectar. So I went and checked them out. They're playing Studio B, which is my favorite place to see any of the bands on the boat. And I sat through about two or three songs. And the problem for me wasn't necessarily the music. The problem was Studio B is a closed-in room. It's a fairly dark room. They had a bunch of projectors out by the soundboard, and they were like AV class projectors. They weren't. <laughs> They weren't. They weren't the heavy duty commercial projectors that you would B-level have in a projectors for a B level band. They were, well, I mean, they weren't projectors that you would have. You know, commercial projectors that were big enough to to project something on across a big room. So they had like three of them, and the idea was they were going to turn off all the lights, and the three projectors were going to project this kind of acidy thing. You ever seen like any of the old Black Sabbath videos? Yeah. Same you thing know? Pink Floyd used to do. Yeah, right? with, with the, the, with the, drips, and the, the drips and stuff. Yeah. Well, the problem is projectors were not commercial grade, so when they did that, you could hardly see anything. <laughs> you couldn't see the band. Here's what I got out of seeing the band. They had one bad as a rock show. They had one <laughs> one lady backup singer who was wearing a silver sequence dress, and the only reason I saw that is because I could see the reflection of the silver sequence, and that's all I could tell. All the rest of it was just a silhouette. So I don't know whether she's hot or not. My guess probably not. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the other thing was is the bass player, and he must be one of the main members of the team because he looked like uh, old Bill Miller from down at the Dodge dealership. <laughs> <laughs> he had his pants pulled up around his freaking uh, chest and uh, he's wearing casual slacks and uh, pull uh, buttoned up uh, casual shirt. He was on vacation and he was playing a Rickenbacker, of course. And he had some stuff to say and he was plucking away at his bass and, you know, he's a good bass player, but... It just it reminded me of old Bill Miller and the Dodge dealership, and this is his weekend band with his buddy Bernie on guitar. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of. And the only one that looked like they were like rock star, like, okay, this dude's a musician, and he was older, was the lead singer in the shadows. Again, couldn't see everybody that great, but in the shadows, guy looked like Rick Ocasek. 
a little bit. So he had on, you know, the round specs and he was definitely an older dude, but colors his hair, no doubt. Uh, so that was after not being able to really see the band after about two songs or three songs, I was like, all right, I'm bored. Cause I can't really see anything. I can just hear it and I hate it. Uh, so I walked out of that. That was, uh, my experience with Nectar. So then you went to see, I think we met up, a, well, sort of met up. I saw you. You saw me. <laughs> you gave me the head nod. I gave you a head you nod. Past. But we saw the dueling pianos with Tyson and Will, who we've talked about. Jen and I spent uh, probably a good hour with Tyson Leslie and Will Doherty. You got, uh, you got two uh, songs played, right? Yeah, we, we gave them two uh, requests. They played both of them. I got points with my wife. She wanted to hear some Matchbox 20. There you go. They played one for her, and uh, they did a Jellyfish song uh, the night before that I saw. So I was like, I'd love to hear Jellyfish again. So I just asked them to play any Jellyfish, and they played a different one for me, and it was great. I enjoyed it. I like those guys. You know, they can play anything, so really that can. was fun. They had a guy, I don't know who the other guy was that came up and played, uh, what was it, REO Speedwagon with him? That was kind of cool. Yeah, that guy, he basically does the same thing. He runs a piano bar, and so he, I guess, just happens to be on the cruise and wants to sit in, and that's what he See, did. See, I was there. He did that. Great. Yeah, <laughs> apparently you were there. Or it was the packed. It it's, was. So the reason it was packed is uh, because after Transatlantic, the band Riverside were supposed to play in the Royal Theater, and they were supposed to go on at, what, 11, I think, or 10. They were supposed to go on at 10, and there was no way after Transatlantic they were going to go on yeah. at 10 because Transatlantic didn't even finish until quarter to 10. So... I don't know when Riverside actually went on, but it had to be at least an hour, an hour and a half late. And once again, people were sitting on the stairs. It was packed in that room because people were trying to get in for that show. We heard they were good. <laughs> I, yeah, I heard they were good. I was done. My, I was done. We all finished off our day up on the pool deck for Wishbone Ash. Yep. That's I right. hadn't seen them. Kevin saw them before. I wanted to check them out. What'd you think? I mean, I enjoyed it. There, you can definitely see the influence they had on bands like Thin Lizzy and stuff. You know, I enjoyed what I saw. It's, it's not. I wouldn't rush right out and get all the Wishbone Ash records or any of that stuff. It's not stuff I listen to every day. But I mean, I, I didn't. I thought they were good. Could you hear the the Maiden? The, oh, the yeah. influence that they had on yeah, Maiden, the though? twin guitar thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you definitely could hear a lot of those influences that they had, especially after you told me that for sure. Yeah, because Steve Harris has mentioned that more than once yeah. that Wishbone Ash had a lot of influence on them, and you can hear it. It's just the only thing is, I wish they would turn their guitars up a little bit. It was just it wasn't loud enough to me, but that's you know just being nitpicky it was a nice night on the pool deck so we had good weather and that was good so that was the end of the night for today uh the we last... do rush first no let's do the rush all okay. at the end all right so we'll go into de- to today for me it's really simple today uh we spent the entire day at coco Cay on the private island we went to the beach we went and sat by the pool it was fantastic it was a great relaxing day there was nobody i needed to see today I made it back on board uh, in time to see Haken, which uh, Kevin went with uh, me as well. This was their original set where they played original music. I'll let you talk about this, Kevin. I saw him play the cover tunes. I'll keep it short as far as me. I enjoy some of their stuff. They're very heavy. They're probably one of the heavier bands I've seen on this cruise, but 
I don't connect with everything they do. I really like that song Cockroach a lot. It's just quirky enough for me and kind of cool. Uh, but you know, some of it is just long and it's really, really heavy. Yeah. They're, um, so if you're into Meshuggah and Gent style music, if you know what Gent is, uh, Animals as Leaders is another band that plays that style of music. You probably like Haken. Haken is very heavy, yet progressive. So the, the quirky is a good word for it because they're not just gent. If you think of Meshuga and bands like that, they're super heavy and serious all the time. Haken's not that way. They can be super heavy, but then they kind of have a sense of humor and they also throw in like gentle giant which is a band i know we, we had talked about but they do a lot of vocal harmonies which reminds me a lot of gentle giant from the 70s so mix that with the gent style music and that's haken and i think they're awesome i, I really love them but they're definitely new school prog and to see all these old people in the theater kind of banging their heads to it i thought that was kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, for me, all that's left tonight is we're, we're going to go to dinner and pack up all our stuff. And then if there's time, I may catch some Masaga on the pool stage just because, I mean, they were good enough and nothing else going on. So there you mm-hmm. go. So a couple things for me. So before you got back on the boat, I actually did a, um, a kayak experience excursion this morning. And it was great getting out and paddling. I love rowing. So getting out and... To uh, we went to the other island. We paddled all the way to the other island and back. It was awesome. We saw some stingrays. It was really cool. But I, as soon as I got back in, we were supposed to go snorkeling, and there was such a long line to get the snorkel. I'm like, screw it. I got to go see District 97. So I got back on the boat and went up, and I watched District 97. And on the pool stage, I was just sweating buckets out there. It was so hot, but they were great. They were absolutely f- fantastic to see them again and they played a different set completely different set none of the same songs they played the other night just rocked it they were so good and i went and talked to uh jonathan the drummer afterwards and you know just had a few words just it was cool man they were really awesome and then from there i was so hot i thought i was gonna pass out i got some food that didn't help i'm like shit i'm gonna fall out if something doesn't happen <laughs> and so i went and i got in the pool and I started to feel great. I was in the solarium, and I looked next to me, and it's Pavarotti. Alan Parsons is in the pool next to me. <laughs> He's in the pool. <laughs> Somebody told me that, uh, well, maybe it was you. Was it you that told me he had, like, a security detail with him? He did. So he, um, so he was in the pool when I got in. I look over, and there's Alan Parsons. And all I could think was I had just watched – about a month ago, I watched that Beatles documentary that's mm-hmm. like four and a half hours yeah, he long. Was the, and he's he, the guy, he's in it, He man. was the tape operator <laughs> for uh, the producer. He was a young dude then. And, yep. I'm, looking, and I'm, I'm looking at him, and I know he must have thought like, oh, God, here's a fanboy. Yeah. But I'm looking at him going, is that the same guy? You can see it in his face in the in the young pictures. But yeah, he was in Get Back. And I was, I was telling my wife, I was like, damn, there's Alan Parsons. I said... Man, can you imagine the stories that dude has? Like, I would love just to sit down with that dude and talk to him. Yeah, I don't get the impression he likes to do that, though. I'm guessing not, and probably that's what everybody wants to know, you know? He probably is not the guy that wants to talk about Pink Floyd or or the Beatles. He's probably been asked those questions a million times. So it was just, it was surreal, you know, being in the pool. He got out of the pool, and sure enough, he had a security detail give him his towel. Interesting. (laughs) 
and then he left, and his wife stayed in the pool. So I chatted her a little bit, but didn't really talk about him. Yeah, interesting. But, uh, it was cool, but then then uh, Martin Barr came on while I was in the pool, and I was it was I was digging it because I'm a huge Jethro Tull fan. Uh, we were talking earlier. I actually have all the Jethro Tull albums, and he was playing old school, early late seventy or early seventies, late sixties Tull. Now, help me out. Is he is he an original member of Tull? He is not the original guitarist. Mick Abrams was the original guitarist, but Mick Abrams was only there for I think the first album, maybe the first two albums. So he's classic he Tull, is, though, classic lineup. When you think of Tull, he is the guitar. So he is the guitar player. He on, is the guitar on player on all of them. Aqualung, okay. all that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and he he was fantastic. He played Aqualung. He played uh, you know Cross Eyed Mary. He played all those classic Tull songs. Locomotive. He played locomotive That's breath. That's awesome. I mean, it was just, and it sounded good. It was heavy. It was, yeah, and, and whoever his singer was sounded like Ian Anderson. I'm a little bit disappointed now that I think about it because I do like like Cross-Eyed Mary and, and uh, locomotive breath and songs like that. I do like a lot. And uh, that would have been kind of cool. Although, uh, well, at any point in time, did, did the new singer use a flute and play a flute? There was no flute. Oh, that's ridiculous. No flute. If you ain't got a flute, you ain't Jethro Tull. Mm, yeah. Well, he's not. He's Martin Barr. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they had some sort of falling out, so I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, shoot. That's, I mean, that's it for me. What You have anything the, else? The, the only you... thing left I have to see that I have not seen is Saga. Saga's going to play the pool stage at 8 p.m., and I'm yeah. going to go see that. Cool. So uh, we may run into each other up there because we should be done with dinner by the time that happens. All right, so that's it. I mean, overall, let me ask you this before we get to our uh, top two Rush uh, albums. For you... How was this? Because this was your first cruise to the edge, right? Yep. And you've done Kiss Cruises. We talked about that. How was this cruise for you? It was fantastic, actually. It was for me. It was a lot of first, which it's hard for me to say that because I go to a lot of concerts, right? And but the thing is, the reason I came on this cruise is a lot of these bands just do not tour the United States that often. And so for me, it was a chance to see Marillion. It was a chance to see Haken. It was a chance to see Pain of Salvation and Riverside. All these groups that don't really get to the States that often. So it was fantastic. Which is essentially the same exact reason that Sonny and I talk about the Monsters of Rock cruise. We go on that cruise, not necessarily to see Tesla and Kicks. I I personally enjoy Tesla and Kicks, but that's not why I'm there. I'm there to see bands like Heat and Eclipse and bands that are from Europe that I can't get around the corner at the local club. So that's the biggest draw for me. So it's kind of the same exact thing for Monsters of Rock Cruise for us, for, for Sonny and I anyway. Yeah. And only here, you know, we just left the Haken show and we start to leave and who is sitting directly behind us, but Mike Portnoy. I mean, only here can that happen. Like I was telling you, if it was 1992 and Mike Portnoy was sitting behind me, I would have just ejaculated on the spot. <laughs> oh, that's a little bit much. <laughs> Well, yeah, so same exact thing. I think that's probably the case for most of these music cruises, whether it's an 80 cruise. And I haven't been on any of these other cruises. Cruise to the Edge is the only other music cruise besides Monsters of Rock I can compare it to. But it's essentially the same exact thing. The difference is, is I could be standing next to 
the guitar player in Haken and never know it because I don't know any of these people at all. Uh, Some I, of these guys are a little nondescript. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even know Alan Parsons, and I pa- passed him two or three times uh, in various crowds, uh, and didn't you know. Probably saw Stu Ham three times in the in the buffet line. Exactly. Uh, well, <laughs> paparazzi more so, but <laughs> Stu Ham. I'll tell you why I recognized him once I saw him on stage is because he's got a sleeve of star tattoos, little stars all over his uh, arm, and uh, I'd seen him a couple of times in line but yeah i mean overall i enjoyed it uh just because it's a music cruise what's not to enjoy anytime you can combine music and a cruise for me and my wife it's fantastic and even though i didn't know any of these bands and even though i don't love any of these bands i discovered a couple of bands that i will definitely seek out more i had a great time i enjoyed the stuff i did see well some of it i enjoyed some of it i was like meh uh, Sonny would have jumped overboard probably on day one day with one. some of this yeah, stuff. For sure. For sure. But I, I do want to take this opportunity once again to thank Sonny. I mean, it's because of Sonny's generosity that uh, we are on this cruise. And I do appreciate that because it's essentially a vacation uh, for me and my wife. Nothing like a free vacation. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought you were going to hate it. I'll be honest with you. I, I really thought, oh, Steven's going to hate this. They're probably just going to stay out by the pool the entire time, and I'll see him once or twice. I'm glad you enjoyed some of it because yeah. it's, it's different, man. It's, it's, it's not for everybody. I mean, I'm open-minded to music in general, and, and will I go and put on a Haken record versus a Heat or Eclipse record? No, that's probably not going to happen. I like melodic rock. That's what I like. Uh, but if I'm in the move, I'll definitely put on some of this stuff and I'll definitely seek out some of the other stuff because I really like that band moon safari. So I will check out some more of that stuff. So it's all good. You know, music is music. If you don't like it, you move along. That's okay. But if you're open-minded, you might discover something. All right. So let's get to the final two rush albums and then let's close this up. Cause I got to go pack my bags. All right, so we're on number two of our top five Rush albums of all time. And my number two, I don't need to go into any detail because this is Moving Pictures. If you're into Rush at all, this is probably the album either that you got into them on or the one that you love the most. Most people love Tom Sawyer, Red Barchetta, YYZ, go on and on and on. This is my introduction to Rush. A friend of mine called me from my... So I'm from a small town in South Carolina. A friend of mine called me in December. I was in high school. He called me from, and this is before cell phones, he called me from the record store in my little town. He goes, hey, I'm going to get you a Christmas present. You know Rush? No, never heard of Rush. No, I'd never heard of him. This is like 1989. All right, I'm going to get you some Rush. And so he, he, brought, he bought me the cassette tape for moving pictures. I put it in. Tom Sawyer comes on. I'm like, where has this been all my life? It was amazing. And it's been out about uh, six, seven, eight years at this point, right? Yeah. 89 came out yeah. in like 81 or yeah. something, right? Yeah. yeah, it was not new. No, not new at all. <laughs> but it blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. And it's what set me on the course to my Rush fandom. They're my 
they're tied with Kiss as my number one band of all time. I'll go ahead and give my number two because my number two is the exact same thing. I think moving pictures is a popular choice for a lot of people. You think of Rush, you think of moving pictures. I mean, that was the groundbreaking record for the band in the U.S. for sure. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's jammed full of what I would call hits, whether it's Red Barchetta or whether it's Tom Sawyer or Limelight. You know, it's got all this stuff on it. And for me, uh, I was a baseball player in high school my first year in 1980. I guess it would have been 80, 80, um, 80, 81. And in the locker rooms, I just remember this kid always playing Moving Pictures, the album. And that was my introduction to Rush. And so uh, from there, I went uh backwards but that was that was my entry point to rush and that's why that that record is is so far up i mean it's a classic rush record for a reason and it's probably their most popular record i would think overall it had to be their biggest selling album for sure so yeah good one number one so my number one rush album is their what neil peart called their hardest album he ever played on it was the most difficult for him to play, and that is the 70s album. It's Hemispheres. It is the third album in the trilogy that they did of progressive rock albums. So they had 2112, and then they had A Farewell to Kings, and then they topped the progressive years off with Hemispheres. It has an incredible, you know, again, a, a full side of a song hemispheres which has all these movements and different parts to it and it's very complex it's just fantastic i love every bit of that album and even the the songs that aren't part of hemispheres the circumstances and the trees and i mean just amazing amazing stuff yeah it's a great record uh so my number one is very near and dear to my heart uh i'm gonna probably be called a cheat because it is a live album but the bottom line for me is that this is the song or this is the album in my youth that was the most important in my discovery of rush and that's all the world's a stage uh, after getting into introduced to rush through moving pictures i went backwards and somebody suggested we'll get the live record because it has a bunch of old stuff on it this was before exit stage left i think was even out so all the world's a stage was kind of the perennial live record for rush now they put out a billion live records since then but when I put that record on and the first thing I hear is the crowd and ladies and gentlemen, we welcome from Canada rush and they launch into Anthem. Holy shit. That was it. I was like, Oh, this is killer. I was like, man, this is even better. Than movie <laughs> this is great. And I listened 
to, I can't tell you how many times I just wore grooves in that Rush album uh, back and forth, just listening to it with headphones and so many times. Such a great album from Bytor the Snow Dog to uh, Anthem and Bastille Day. Oh, two of my favorite Rush songs are those two. They really rock. Fly By Night, uh, Lakeside Park, just such a great record. And that, that record is very, very important to me as a Rush fan. And so that is absolutely, it wasn't even a second thought. That was my number one Rush album. All right, would you please welcome home, Rush! So quick side note, uh, when I got moving pictures in 1989, my best friend, whose name is Brandon Still, if you're a Blackberry Smoke fan, you will recognize that name because he is the keyboard player in Blackberry Smoke. So he and I discovered Rush at the same time. We were, we were Rush nuts. And so he wanted to get another Rush album. So we just sort of chose together. I'm like, well, you get 2112. I've got moving pictures. We'll get those too. And obviously had a big influence on him. He was a guitarist back then. He became a keyboard player. So the guy in Blackberry Smoke, which is a Southern rock band, he plays this awesome Southern rock organ. Yeah, he's a Rush fan. And the whole reason he plays keyboards is because of Rush. That's cool. So, hey, overall, this is way different than anything we do on Growing Up Rock but I felt like it was important to kind of give feedback and share the experience with the listeners. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our feedback on this. Hopefully you uh, were intrigued by maybe a couple of the bands we talked about, maybe a couple of the songs we played, and maybe you'll sing something out. Who knows? But, you know, if you're into it, go out and support it. But that's our story, and we're sticking to it. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'm sure Sonny and I will be back next week with another episode. Kevin Williams, plug your podcast one more time. Yep, an Obscuria podcast. Anywhere you listen to podcasts is out there. We do everything from rock and punk and metal, anything obscure. If you have suggestions, if you have things you want to hear, send me a note. Thank you for being my progressive guide on this cruise. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll be your nerd any day. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be your nerd, your nerdberry, huckleberry, nerdberry. Yeah, I appreciate it, Kevin. Uh, that's it. Thanks. See ya. See ya. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. Oh,
Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.